So welcome. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm uh, Slide, Team Slide United. Uh, this season I spotted and was kind of crew chief. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm, uh, I'm John, one of the Slide United team members, driver of the uh, S14 that uh, drove this year in uh, Pro-Am and mostly what this recap is going to be all about. I'm Chris, uh, one of the newest additions to the Slide United team, kind of helping out John with being on this crew. Frank, uh, mechanic on the team, been friends with Rich for years. So, so we we're hoping to do today is just kind of like recap how we got into last season. It's kind of an interesting story, I think at least. Um, and then how the season went because we kind of went in with a plan, did a lot of you know prep, executed pretty pretty well. I mean, I was I think we're all pretty happy with the outcome. Um, just kind of get in, get into it. So, I guess you know we should start with. Kind of the how do we get into doing pro am this year? Because there's there's quite a little build up to that. There's quite a lot of build up, yeah. actually. I've always wanted to compete in a racing series in general. Um, I tried to do it in Time Attack, um, did some SCCA and stuff like that, but never got to do a full season. Whether it's even if it's at one track, because Central Florida SCCA only does it at pretty much Sebring and like a race at Daytona, so. When I came back and moved to Orlando, it's like, I will get into drifting and I will do a competitive drift season, whatever that looks like, when, when it happens, when the time is right. So that buildup was moved to Orlando, I bought a sim, I bought a cheap 350Z that needed some work, and that's where it started three years ago. <clears throat> so then, I, so for me too, I really hadn't been around Pro-Am at least since like three palms days like 2016 i mean i've been you know been up watching but i hadn't participated in it because i really went from three palms to like being on team Juku with fd pro so it was like a fun opportunity for me also like with one of my best friends to kind of like help out and get involved and i don't know see where we could go especially after i saw you start driving going from sim to physical drifting like you picked it up immediately and then i definitely was seeing like signs even though you know you hadn't had the seat time yet but like i could see the little signs there that oh man like like john could have it like he's smooth consistent you know you don't make many mistakes for very long you know if you make one it's like you're real good about figuring it out and, and moving on so yeah it was so it's exciting for me to want you know and uh, the opportunity to do it with you so and maybe one thing to note too was you know back in 2019 there was no local competition drift series yeah. um the first one that came up was uh clutch kickers clutch kickers popped up first and it was okay i hope i get out of school and finish the car in time to make it which didn't happen but at the same time that's when jackson was able to start fd program for florida so speaking of the car right you want to talk a little bit about that because the car you got and then it sat on ice for a little while due to like deployment and so yes so i forget what year i bought the car <laughs> but let's just say i bought taylor hole's old s14 chassis when he switched to the cadillac when he was starting to after he purchased the cadillac was when that car went up for sale and i went to georgia and immediately picked it up I was hit up by Rich, Michelotti, Duarte, and somebody else telling me, go buy this car now. So I listened and I went and bought the car now. 
Um, I was up there two days later after it was was for sale. Yeah, I just got a picture. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, as soon as I got the car, um, this was also my first drift car build. So this was where I was going to start learning to drift. So there's definitely been parts that I've bought that never used and I sold. Um, but the power plant was always going to be V8, wanted, to, wanted it to be V8, um, and didn't have knowledge of anything. And this is, you know, eight, eight years ago or so. So I picked up the only LS I was able to find at a performance shop that was just sitting in the corner. Had no idea what it was. It's clearly the four point, the four point great, I'm going to call it. Ah. It's survived. Um, so it was a four eight. And then everybody and their mother was telling me, oh, the transmission to get was an F-Body T56. So there you go. That was, that was the start of that. And then it sat on ice at my house, sat on ice in a trailer in a storage yard, sat at a buddy's shop in Miami while I was deployed for a year. And it just kind of collected parts through the years that it needed. And they sat in boxes in the trailer or inside the car, and it just never, and never got past a rolling chassis, pretty much. So you said something too that was a good point, because I forget now, like especially like in hindsight, I forget that that car was like the first real build to that extent by far you've ever done. Like you've yes, never I, built one. I made the classic mistake that we tell everybody to not make, <laughs> which was I want to go drifting. I'm gonna do an LS swap S, S chassis. That is exactly what I did. And it took me nine years, was... about nine years or so to make it happen. Um, Cause I started with a different shell before this one technically, which I got rid of. Cause it was the entire floor pan on both the passenger and driver side was completely rusted. So whoever was drifting it before literally was flopping around in the seat cause it wasn't connected to the, the, the unibody side of the, the chassis. Yeah. So, so then <clears throat> it becomes apparent that, okay, like we, we, we got the time, we got the car, you know, we go to that. So we go a couple of years ago, go to the OSW event. We kind of knew we wanted to run Pro-Am you get you in. So we kind of like checked it out. I'll, I'll pause you there. Sure. So the, the real green light was when Jackson announced yeah. The, in December, after SEMA, so, I mean, SEMA's going on right now, time of this recording, um, but he didn't get green light from FD until about a month later in early December to announce that he had the rights to do his own FD Pro-Am series in Florida. Um, so the car had been in my garage at a year at that point because it was like, oh, when I have some time, I'll work on it and kind of chip away at it. And I, I, we did very, very slowly. Um, but it was more of a convenience of getting done for clutch kickers rather than a push. When Jackson announced Pro-Am, it turned into, oh, I need to get this car done as, not as fast as possible, but done as correctly, as quickly as possible. Yeah, we said some, that's right, it's a good point, I forgot about that too, that that was announced. So, <clears throat> so then they, it was on, instead of like you said, chipping away at it, it was like, okay, put a plan in place. What are we going to do? We have, even though it was Seller Hull's car, what ended up happening was we, we pretty much kept the, the cage in it just to kind of bring things up to, up to date, up to spec. We had to source some stuff. There was some old rules that, yeah. or there was new rules that were in place, for example, the S chassis windowsill in the rear that wasn't a rule back when Taylor was running the car in 17, 18, and 19. 
So that was something that was not hard to fix on the car, but it was hard to figure out how we were going to even do it in the first place. Yeah, so it turned into really taking that car down to a caged shell, basically, again. Taking all the rear radiator stuff, just, like, cutting it all out. Because at that point, when, when we're that deep into it, it's like, we might as well just, you know, we had some ideas of what we would probably want to do. And it was like, okay, we might as well just do it. We're already this far into it. Well, so, simply yeah. put, the rear is, the great, is a great example. We know that if we were to do it again, and we will be, um, you know, the fuel cell needs to go in between the strut towers. But with the way that the cage was done, we would have to make more than major already the major modifications we were fixing on the car anyways to do that. So it turned into, okay, this is what we have. What is acceptable and close enough to write that we can, that we can do? So, you know, fuel cell kind of moved a little bit, but it wasn't in, in between the strut towers and the radiator moved to accommodate and change the direction that it was pulling air um so we weren't superheating my fuel cells and just old stuff like that yes yeah, so you make a good point it's like it was like yeah, the whole the whole build philosophy around us you know redoing that chassis was kind of a good enough you know in the time frame and in there was to, to a minimum standard but kind of good enough to get it where we felt like we needed it but not dive because it still was an old FD chassis and had old FD chassis, you know, issues. You can't get around that. Remember, it was completely crashed into the OSW wall the year that I bought it. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, it, it is what it is. That's what happened. So, we got it good enough. It's 4.8, 4 point great. Yes. You know, goes in it. Um, it's got, I mean, so technically the 4.8 has a cam, which is why it loads a little bit. But I say, like, air quote. Because it's, it just doesn't sound like a truck motor, but it makes truck motor yeah, horsepower. Exactly. It, it might make like five more wheel horsepower than a truck motor with a sock cam would make. I mean, per the truck that I got it from, <laughs> it, you know, to the wheel made five more than what the paper says it yeah. makes at the crank. Yeah. <laughs> right. So on the 85. Yeah. I, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> that was not going to cut it. So we added a lot of nitrous. <laughs> yeah, so from watching Clutch Kickers and other lower-end competition series, let's say, we understood that at a minimum on paper, we wanted to be in the low to mid 400 horsepower range to be, to be at least competitive to some degree. Anything below that, you know, we could, you know, it's like a, it's like a 350Z on nitrous. Sure, it can go out there and complete runs and, you know, do the job. But when the field is, when the spread of the field is so wide from 600 plus down to, you know, 400, it just, at some point you're outclassed and there's nothing you can do about it. But if we're at a minimum of that mid 400 horsepower range, we can at least have a trying chance at some of those higher cars if we got there. So, so that's why we so sorry. So that's why we added the nitrous, with the anticipation that, with the thought that we were going to make four fifty, ish, um, and and we did. We made four eleven. Yeah. So made soon on a hundred twenty five <laughs> shot. Yes. All the nitrous. Yeah, we're making four eleven, 
and nitrous is making now up like just over 25% of the total horsepower. It's 36% yeah. of the horsepower of the car is on nitrous. Yeah. So <clears throat> pretty difficult to get around to drive, but we figured it out. So we go into, so I guess we go into 2022 now. We did one of one, try to do one event, which we. Yes. Yeah, so, so we'll take one step backwards and say that December of 21, Jackson announced it. We pressed hard on the gas button or the gas pedal to get the car done. And the minimum requirement for success was the backwards plan from the last event. And as long as we met all those goals, we were going to at least show up for one round and get my feet wet because I've never done anything at this level, both car and, um, you know, competition wise. Like we have to show up and just get a feel. doesn't matter how bad it goes. Yeah. We basically went there and said, okay, like we just want to qualify, just show up and qualify. Which you know there was an issue there. We didn't. But but that was the goal. That 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 one event was like, show up, get a feel for it. You know, get a lay of the land, see what the car does on track, kind of in that environment. Because you're just not in a fun day. You're just you're just not gonna get a competition. You know, environment. Environment. It's just not gonna happen. Like you you're really only gonna get it there where people are, people are driving like that hard in a very specific way. Yeah. Um, so to kind of see where we stuck, where we stacked up with all that. So I'm going to caveat on that and say, while the event was a total failure, as far as meeting goals and actually showing up to drive because I didn't qualify. Um, and, it, and it was the first time you driven in the rain. It was, it was the first time I've driven in the rain as well. Um, but it checked all the other boxes for why we had to show up in the first place. Um, you know. This is what the environment's going to be like. This is what the pits are going to be like. This is this is the pace of what the event is going to be like. This is what's going to happen if when it rains, because that's something never, you know, I never experienced at any events that I've driven at before. Um, it was also good to just watch the end season because this is the last round. It was technically three and four, but you know, for round four, I basically sat there and waited for the rain and watched the competition which there was no rain, bummer. But anyways, kind of learned that, you know, if I'm capable, you know, I should I should have the power of the car. Yeah, we kind of figured out real fast. The 4.8 with that much nitrous was not, not, not ideal. I mean, we knew that anyway, but it was absolutely cemented and we, not ideal. Well, we knew it was not, not ideal. We didn't know... Yeah. How un- not ideal until about round two this year, which we can tr- we, which we can talk well, more detail about. Well, so so coming out of that kind of you know get our feet wet event in twenty two, uh, we we swapped the motor. Yes, um, I found a L ninety two on Facebook Marketplace for a good price. Um, so for those that don't know, an L ninety two is a six point two liter aluminum block LS out of a like Cadillac. Um, basically, it's the cheap man's LS3 is what it is. Um, it technically only had 74,000 miles on it. It had a mild cam and already and part of that cam was um, the cylinder deactivation, um, you know, lifter delete and whatnot. Um, so I thought that this was this was what I could budget to you know upgrade the car for next year, 
you know, even with the not a proper cam, um, it was going to be it was going to be enough for what I needed to do for for twenty twenty three. Yeah, and twenty and and two twenty twenty three was for us was always a matter of you know collecting data. You know, if we were competitive, great, but really the the core goal for us kind of in that time frame leading into this year, well, intervening this year was, okay, let's let's get the experience, let's get, you know, data, let's kind of, you know, so that we can take it into really like 2024. That's always been kind of the, yes, the, the, the overarching plan, right? So, uh, test with the 20, the, we test with the 6.2 and it, it's completely different, right? We, we love it. So... We loved it until we didn't. <laughs> so, well, I think it didn't love us. Is what happened. We, we yes, it just wasn't a you know mutually. Love. It was a mutual relationship. You know what I mean. So, uh, we went to the dyno, and remember, four point eight on one hundred twenty five shroud of nitrous made four eleven wheel. The six two with the unknown really mild cam made four fifty five no nitrous. Yeah. <laughs> so I was already making more horsepower than the 4.8 without nitrous yeah. and then on nitrous we made 582 something like that um but the torque number was insane well we were over 600 foot pounds of torque yeah it was it was wild so and that was the same with the same 125 shot so mm -hmm. i didn't want to change any of the the tuning on the the nitrous with the fuel and the fuel tables and stuff um so okay so now i'll step forward into the test day being able to run third gear on the skid pad with the T56 and the stock 4.08 uh, rear diff was like night and day. I didn't have to be driving it like a 350Z floored and yeah. clutch kicking it. It just, I just, it just drove. Yeah, it, it yeah. pedal resolution for the first time, like with a V8 yeah. in that car. It's, it's like, before that, it's an on-off switch, right? It's like all the power, some of the power. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I mean, so you actually have to, you know, could ease off the pedal ten percent, and you know you didn't completely lose it all. You yeah. mean I could ease off the pedal fifty percent <laughs> yeah. and yeah. actually massage the car more nicely in the corner, <laughs> and then roll back into it instead of yeah. maybe a clutch kick or or a stab with a left foot brake while still staying floored. You yeah. know the, all those other little tricks in the book to keep the car where it's supposed to be. So so the six point two was not in love with us. Correct. So at the very end of the event. It decided to uh, totally catch the entire car on fire. It pushed uh, a push lock oil line completely off, um, you know, the filter return to the motor for some reason. And uh, because I also run an AccuSump, um, that AccuSump also saw a drop in oil pressure. So three quarts of, pushing of oil from the AccuSump <laughs> Plus, whatever the motor is pulling and pushing through the oil cooler to go back into the motor was all just being directly sprayed onto the driver's side headers. Yeah. Uh, Fly Day's video of that, if you ever go find it, uh, it's, it's pretty... The fire was, what, 15 feet high? Yeah, we'll, like have to, we'll have to throw it in here because it's... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll it's pretty epic. It. it was... It's pretty epic. It was pretty bad. I didn't know I was on fire until I started the car again. <laughs> well, and all of us are running up to him like, you know... All, yeah. all that all that I saw from the driver's seat was, why did I lose front-end traction? Which was clearly the oil going yeah. all the way across the car and under the front wheels. So I just turned the car over again, and fire went everywhere. 
So that's not even the best. So we, we, we get the line fixed and everything, get the carpet back together, and then you do an open track night, like, what, a week or two later? Yeah, so I... Rush isn't the right word because I didn't really rush. No, yeah. But, you know, I, uh, I, you know, beat the concrete to make it out to a uh, public day. So the public day was actually a learner's day followed by the OSW after or whatever at night. Yeah. So I lent my 350Z to Chris to drive for the learner's day because I really want to get him in the drift car <laughs> and start drifting with us. Um, with some, some old burner tires of his own. Like, go have fun, I'll meet you there afterwards with, with my stuff. Um, you know, came out to the public day to just, you know, bring the car up to temperature, run the car, you know, make sure everything is, is fine. Um, because as far as I was concerned in the garage, getting everything fixed, the motor wasn't making any knocking, any ticking, oil pressure was good. Like, it wasn't, other than, you know, smoke from the water on the header wraps and the oil on the wraps and stuff like that. Like nothing was going wrong. Yeah. Until and, until it the, until it went wrong. Until the first <laughs> lap was complete. So yeah, so we went windowed the block and So I'll I'll keep it short. Um did the first lap, came in to check everything, car wouldn't turn over. Worked on the car the whole night and then went out again at the very end. And as soon as I left the line, before I even shifted it in the second. So I wasn't even at red line, I was at five. 5,000 plus, you know, windowed the block on both sides. I, uh, I'm the one that got that event, you know, canceled or turned closed early yeah. by 30 minutes. Nice. Nice work. Yeah. So that's why I haven't <laughs> showed up to another public event. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so in, you know, postmortem, you know, tear the block down, uh, with our other friend Keegan, who's not here, but he, he's, he, he's kind of a, a unsung hero in a lot of cases because he helps us quite a bit with both our cars, frankly. But uh, we figure out that he's our LS. Much. He's our LS mentor. Yeah, good. I like that LS mentor. Yeah. So find out bearings trashed, it, likely from the oil line coming off, and but it wasn't as obvious. Only it completely like spun it yet, and then it just completely failed. Yeah. So the weird part about it is, we completely disintegrated an entire piston. Oh yeah. yeah. Like the the biggest piece that was left was the size of my thumbnail. Um. So as far as cause was really hard to figure out other than the trashed bearings yeah. um, that, you know, maybe I did spin it and it was just, wasn't knocking until it was just going to call it quits. Yeah. So that brings us uh, back to the four point grade. <laughs> so, well, just to cap, so we're, we're closer to this year's, this 2023 season. And then it becomes a, okay, like, you know, we have a plan, we have a budget, you know, this is, is what it is. We have the backup motor, which is the 4.8 at this point. Okay, we're, I guess we're, I guess we're bringing it back and run the 4.8 next year. So yeah, in, in back goes the 4.8 with all Three your months. pedal resolution. <laughs> yes, yeah. so that happened in February and the first round was? April, I think, right, or May? I think it was May. Yeah, right around So May. I had three yeah. months to swap everything back over. Yeah. And now that the car's been drenched in oil again, and to make sure that there was no other root causes, like we had the injectors cleaned and tested. I did ohm readings on every single wire and sensor. Um, you know, so I knew that not only did I need to put the 4.8 back in, but I also needed like not just a public event to go test. 
I wanted to really test the, the car to make sure that everything was just going to kind of go back to the way it was. So um, a month before the first round, I jumped into a Saturday private day and organized my own Sunday private day. Oh, that's right, because I drove the Sunday. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So I drove Saturday with a couple other Pro-Am guys that were just testing out their cars with you know, a group of you know, fun drivers, whatever. Um, and then I drove to our private day the following day to work on my tandem and drive with the, the, you know, the crew. And if it was going to survive that weekend, <laughs> then I was confident I would be okay in, in Pro-Am. Yeah, and it did with flying colors. I mean, they, the, as much as we, we laugh and joke about that 4.8, a 4.8's been, it's been a, a workhorse. Yeah. 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 The only problem I had was after my first lap, I had to wait for all the oil and water to, to burn itself off of the header wraps. Because, not going to lie, I, I ran, after I saw the smoke, I was jumping out of that car with a fire extinguisher, <laughs> ripping the hood off. I was like, I'm on fire again. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, yeah. You're, and that was the only problem I had that entire week. You're not on fire, Ricky. <laughs> so so that takes us into okay so we were the first round so at this point it's still just John and I and we we kind of did that by design at first to kind of keep it simple right like you know we're we're probably the most well definitely we between the two of us we know every nut and bolt in a car yes so it just kind of made sense to kind of like show up kind of low key you know do our thing get data figure things out a little bit and just you know and, and we actually got a pretty solid like rhythm going that day. It was, it was pretty cool and, and learned a lot. But Yeah, there was some over-planning and over-personnel that happened on our first event in August for the other, the other, the other year. Um, and just people in the way when you're going into the trailer, people hanging out where they shouldn't be, you know, pit etiquette and stuff like that. And we just wanted to take a big step backwards and just kiss method keep it simple yeah. and we're just like, you and me for the first round i don't care how hot it is and how slow we are or how exhausted we get just you and me let's just keep it simple yeah so we stripped everything down to the basics kind of and then took a lot of notes figured something out so first round you know we show up you know not knowing how we're going to do uh i guess you know talk about practice a little bit i mean and we had an idea of like some of our consumables you know tires and fuel and nitrous but but this was really the first like event we were gonna actually you know get some depth into hopefully and, and get some better you know start, start collecting some better data on some of those things um, track setup driver mm -hmm. and we're also working on our communication too right we have not established any because we we didn't go anywhere the, the first time right so this is the first time where and good and because of the rain too there was no what we turned two laps and then it rained yeah. And then and then we went to qualifying in the rain, and I didn't qualify. So this is the first time it's weather's looking good. We're gonna get to turn laps. We can actually work on stuff, both communication, driving, car, all all every, every all the list of things that we didn't get to work on the year prior. And and I don't think people realize too that like spotter driver relationship, it it's it's kind of a dance, right? Like we have to be on the same page. You know, if I if I describe something over the radio, you have to know what what the heck I'm talking about. Right. It's yeah. a perfect example of that dance. Is that first round? You were telling me that I was looking great in outer zone one. Oh yeah. When I was five feet from the zone. 
And that's because of just the vantage point right. and whatnot. Um, so, and also round one, two, my box of how big the car was to me, arguably now after round four, was twice the size of what I think, the, of what I feel the car size is now. So um, knowing really where I was on course was something that we had to communicate a lot to get me to where I am now. I think that was part of our baby steps, right? Instead of, you know, instead of getting into like little nuances of driving and getting on the line, it's how far off this, you know, how far off this rear zone am I, you know, off this line and kind of like start with some of the simpler stuff like that. Try to get 80% of the solution yeah. before we start getting into the, hey, if you check up just a little bit here, you'll get that last six inches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's let's just get in the box first, right? Like, well, let's get in the box and get you aware that you're three foot off the, you know, the actual back line. You yes, know I mean? exactly. And I mean, definitely I've noticed like kind of going back to, to you as a driver, I've noticed that now that you guys have that communication, like good and like solid, you just as a driver, impress me so much in the way that he can give you a note and you go out and do it exactly the next lap like every time like he's like oh if you like pull a little handbrake here or like check up here and then you go out and the next run is exactly what he said and it's like whatever correction that would have made it makes that correction and you're able to just like pick it up immediately and like that's the most impressive thing for me as far as like your driving style too and that helps with the communication that you guys have made i would mostly say that it's you're combining two different perspectives most of the time like we say instruction mm -hmm. but rich won't tell me hey pull handbrake here he'll be like he'll say hey your line is shallow when you're leaving this part of the course you need to get deeper here and i'll and i will come back over the radio and go i can get deeper there by doing this or this what do you what are other drivers doing or what do you think will be better and basically yeah. we'll make a decision whether it's rich makes a decision or i make a decision mutual, of which one yeah. which one yeah. i want to go with first or which one's more optimal and then you know just go execute it the next lap yeah it's more like the the note of i i was noticing in like round four the most of like where where you had to slow down in the outer zone which we'll get into but where you had to slow down in the outer zone and like he was giving you a note of like where you were on the track and then like the very next lap like you were perfect yeah the and comparison like, of notes between round one and round yeah. four are drastically different yeah both in improvement of what we can improve on and both how we were communicating because before yeah. round one was hey man you're like five feet from that box yeah get get out there get out there <laughs> yeah. somehow that touch and go you think you're like you know you're like all in there and like sick with you're like eight feet away <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yes yeah. yes yeah just that just a car awareness and all that stuff just your yeah. so, outer zone three you're not touching until you exit the course <laughs> yeah for at least for the vantage i could see exactly so so round one what i don't remember exactly what was the issue so we didn't qualify first time out we went to the <laughs> quote unquote, not so great eight. Why was that? That, so we can pinpoint, I don't like to blame other people, but the reason, oh yeah, the reason that I did, I made it into the knockout qualifying the first round was I was one of the first three drivers on track and they completely changed the line of outer zone three. And I was not at a driver's skill level yet where I could adapt on the fly 
And basically when I hit the touch and go and transitioned the car, I went, that's not where the line is supposed to go. Yeah, they that's not it. where the tires are going. And I just transitioned and drove where the car was going all practice. That's right. They brought it in like five feet. Or they something. brought it in a whole car yeah. length. Yeah, yeah. Um, I took a screen grab, um, you know, and sent it to the judges and Chris Jackson afterwards. And uh, they all realized that they have to watch the track guys do the track work. Yeah, it's not honest mistake, but but yeah, it, so, like you said, that you don't have to see time to like adapt, you know, that quickly on the fly. You're still, you know, the blinders are kind of still on, so to speak, when, when you talk about driving, right? Your blinders haven't really come off yet, so you're you're real honed in on it. the thing that's happening right now, not two steps ahead. Right. Yeah. It was more I can go out there and do what I did the last lap, even if it was a crap run, you know, like a thirty score line or whatever thirty score or whatever you want to call it. But I could go out there and do that, but I couldn't adapt unless I was purposely going out there to make a change at a certain point in the course. So to adapt on the fly without knowing that I had to adapt, I couldn't do yet. So you're able to, you're, so at that point, it's, it's a survival. Right? We just want to make the show. We, we put together a qualifying run. Just get through the course. Don't, you know. Yeah, so to preface all the future, you know, uh, uh, not so great second qualifying runs, because the driver field is not made out of 32 drivers, I made the decision that I don't care what the score is. It doesn't matter. I'm already going to be in the bottom of the bracket. Um, I'm already going to be placed up against whoever I get placed up against. So it doesn't matter if I score a 70 or, as I did, you know, like a 30 or a 23. So it was... It was... It felt dirty to do because you're going out there and driving the middle of the course and not looking like a you know a driver trying to go you know professional or you know be competitive but at the same time it was a very calculated decision to just not care drive through the middle of the course complete the course and get a score yeah don't lose drift don't spin out yeah yeah, yeah exactly that's yeah that's the name of the game there so so we get in and we have a top 32 battle in that case Yes, we have always had a top 32 battle until the final round. So this round we have top 32 battle against Tyler Hess. I, yes. I believe so. Yeah, uh, red C5 Corvette with a big cam. Um, Good dude. Yeah, Yeah, nice guy. He ended up selling the car after the event. We didn't compete the rest of this, the season, but nice guy. Um, and uh, I won on a technicality. Yeah, so essentially what happened is, uh, so another thing about Pro-Am is, so back years ago when I was more involved, you know, judges weren't really looking at lead cars or lead runs in terms of tandem battles to reflect on how the chase driver's doing. Like that wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Yeah, yeah, in the last few years. Well, FD's really, you know, done a great job of kind of setting the example, in my opinion. And I'm not just, you know, just saying, you know, trying to, Praise FD. I mean, I legitimately think they've done an excellent job as far as that goes. And I I saw it trickle into Pro-Am judging this year, which was a massive relief to me, um, personally. Because years ago, whoever had the better chase run, regardless of how good or bad the lead run is, without being, like, obscenely bad, you know, that that's who won, basically. Um, so, Hess ends up double-initiating, essentially, on the entry, which really you know, really puts John on kind of a poor line since he thinks that 
Hess is going to end up not initiating, so he kind of dials it back and then has to throw it in again too. And you don't have the resolution or horsepower to kind of make up for lost ground at that point, right? So the whole run ends up being like, you, you ended up pulling it in and making it work, but it wasn't the prettiest. But it, you were really kind of thrown off from the start. And I, you know, at, at the same time, too, my tandem at this level sure. of power and speed wasn't really there yet. Yeah, that's right. And even though I, you know, I was thrown off in the beginning, you know, I really only had about another five percent worth of skill in the tank to close the tandem gap. So where I ended up was about as good as I was going to do in the tandem, anyways regardless of what happened from the double initiation and all the stuff that happened in the first outer zone. Yeah. So we end up winning that battle, which is exciting, right? Our first, this is our, I would, I would say this is like kind of a reset, but this is our first real round where we were like, no, like we want to come in and compete, right? Like yes. We, and, and I say, this is something else I want to point out too, right? Every round we go to, like we want to win. That's never not the goal is to win, right? But there's micro goals in between, which is like qualifying. For in our case, at least, yes, you know, get into the top sixteen, you know, make make it the top sixteen, and then kind of anything after that, even though we we want to beat everyone else and win, is kind of bonus territory, right? We're doing better than we, you know, really, realistically thought we you know we had the the setup to do. Uh, so we get in the top sixteen first round, which was exciting for us, even though it's technicality. It it was still exciting because I when I got the because I didn't really know what what was happening. Honestly, I didn't know about the double initiation. I didn't have the vision dialed in yet where like I just saw him initiated, initiated behind him, and then he kind of straightened. That never crossed my mind about double initiation or this and that. So I had no idea what was going to happen with that battle. And, I, and I'm calling you over radio saying, hey, that entry really messed you up. I am... And at this point, I don't have any like context for how the judges are going to judge yet. It's the first round. So I'm like, man, I really hope they take the lead into account here. Because I think if you do that, we, we win this battle. And, yeah, and yeah, they did. Speaking of micro goals, not necessarily our goal, but one of the things that we didn't really want to do in our first year was protest. Yeah, good point. Like, I understand, like, like in this case, if he got the win, which he did double initiate, I totally understand protesting. But we really wanted to have our first year be wins on technicalities or on true merit. But like straight, actually, up, straight from the judges. Yes, yeah. straight from the judges. Yeah. Correct. Um, but yeah, I was, I was excited. As soon as they dropped the hand my way, I yelled over the radio to the rich, I'm so excited, let's go lose to Taylor Ray. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So we already knew if we won this, right? Because Taylor Ray you know, qualified pretty high. He got a buy run in 16. Um, well, for, I guess by virtue of not getting to the not so great eight, but um, so we knew we were going to go against the winner of us was going against Taylor Ray, which was exciting. Like just to you know, Dude. regardless that we're underpowered, like we want, like we want to drive with the best people. I don't get to drive and, with them in the best cars and everything, right? Like that's that's still a win for us. That's so. the only place I get to do this at. Yeah, I'm you know I don't get to go to the public days or their test days and drive with them. This is the only place. Right. That I get the opportunity to drive with them. And, and we can see, you know, their line, how they measure up against us. I mean, we can kind of see, like, okay, like, how far do we do we need to go to be competitive with them? Like, this, this kind of gives us where, where that delta, that gap is. Yeah. So we go against Taylor Ray and his, like, 
3x horsepower. I know he wasn't running that much horsepower. No, but he was probably running mid 800. Yeah, so he's, he's but he was he's still doubling. running a 315 grippier tire. Yeah, and compared to my 265 that we had aired up. Well, and let's real quick too. Our philosophy for this level is we're gonna build the car around a pro spec tire. Correct. So, to us, there's no point in whatever your choice is. Right, if you're running a 315, that's your choice. That's fine. But our personal philosophy is. We're not going to build a car around a bigger tire and handicap ourselves when we get to pro spec. Like that's right. I, I believe there's two yeah. philosophies around what you're doing in Pro-Am. If you're there at Pro-Am to have fun and to win and you're not going to go to the next step, then by all means, throw a 315 on there and go, you know, you know, go seal kicking. Um, but if you are there to go to the next level, then technically which we're not going to quite do, but technically I should be out there on 255 GT radials and building the car around that tire because that's what the tire they run at the next step. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's what I should be driving. So I'm not running a bigger tire than a 265 Accelera or Kenda right now based around that philosophy, and it's more based on cost that I'm not buying a GT radial. Yeah, so so that's our... So, so I said, back up a little bit. That's our philosophy going into it. So, yeah, we go against Taylor. He absolutely destroys us. But uh, but it was still a blast to compete against him. You no, know? and he unlocked the next level. Right. Because that was the hardest and fastest and most committed that I drove that track all weekend. Yeah. Because all I was trying to do was keep up with him. And I was like, oh, I can drive the car like this. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Yeah, exactly. So even though it was... Yes, you know, as people were like, you know, Taylor's out there, you know, you know, seal kicking and seal clubbing and stuff. But it actually was a great benefit to me because it helped me progress. Yeah. So we get knocked out, but we, like I said, the whole weekend. Well, and also we, we ended up with a really good flow. You know, I would go to the side of the track spot. You'd come off. I'd, you know, hop in the golf cart, run back. And we just had to change tires, change bottle, you know, fuel. We just had this rhythm this that whole day. Yeah, I would do tires. You would do fuel. And then depending on who finished first, yeah. would start working on the nitrous bottle. And then whoever finished second would, would start well. putting new ice in the, in, the, in the cool suit. We also figured out how much nitrous we were going through. It was, I'm still in shock at how many bottles we have to take with us to an event. So round one was that course layout was the most nitrous consumption out of any of the rounds. Um, in five laps, if we did five laps, which we really weren't, but if we did five laps. Due to tire wear, yeah. Due to tire wear, we would go through over seven pounds of nitrous on that course layout. Which means we were at rim. So even with a 10 pound bottle, because of the way you know nitrous works and things are, being that low on a bottle with that setup puts us at risk of running out of nitrous, by the way, mid-run. Yes. So those five laps, lap number five was not usable because tire was just starting to get... the Well, Accelerator versus Kenna, we were on Accelerator that round. Right before they lose their last 20, 15% of tire life, they just become ice. So basically halfway through the run, the tires would get to that point. They'd become super loose. And also... The nitrous you could see on the you could hear the car also see on the uh, air fuel that it was rich and also see that it just what well, didn't have as much grunt as it had before so, so four usable laps 
you know, five yeah. would be seven, so over seven pounds. So, so we got good consumption data. We got good rhythm in us. We were figuring out the communication style. And then I think the last component was, you know, when we set the car up, we had we kind of an idea of the grip level and with the test day where we were at, but again, different environment, right? And we kind of figured out we were pretty close to the line of grip that the car could handle and that you were, as a driver, really like capable to use at that point. Right, even if we put John today or Temple today in the car for a first round now, I actually wouldn't run as much grip as we did yeah. because it wouldn't allow the car to hit certain parts of the track. Yeah. Um, so we found the limit of grip that the car could take with the package we had. Yeah, and pretty quickly. We, we actually zeroed in on that pretty fast, which was, I think, part of our success story was the car, you know, and we're gonna do this in other rounds, but we really figured out, you know, okay, the car is really where it needs to be. It's on the line. Now as a driver, you need to figure out how to utilize a car like that and then be ready to surpass it, you know, by the end of the season. That's yeah, kinda... we, can, we can add on top of that and say that other than tire pressure, we did not change yeah. the alignment, the toe gain, and the dampening of that car after the first round. Yeah. All we changed was tire pressure for the rest of the season. I, I will say, other than OSW, though, the track conditions were pretty... I mean, there were some, like, more technical or more flowy, like, differences, but as far as, like, pavement and general track conditions, all being a Sebring, they were mostly the same. OSW was, like, the biggest, I think, like, variance from that, but yeah. Yeah, that's... Totally that helped us, totally that helped us a little bit, yeah. So, so we... We had, so when we, in our season planning, right, we said, okay, we're going to run this round, a lot of this tires and so forth. We're, then we had a gap between round and one and two, knowing that OSW was going to be round three, we immediately, and, and that we had a two month, you know, a, a two month break between the rounds is our longest gap. We planned a test day in between for OSW to get data on running it on running the OSW layout, like for that exact purpose. Right. So we tested OSW early because it allowed us to stay within a budget of driving this car yeah. with those tires once a month. Basically from May or April yeah, now. until now, we drove the car once a month, whether it was at competition or practice. And we mean practice, not just going around on the skid pad and, yeah. and, and you know making sure the car works. Yeah, it was a, a deliberate yeah, yeah. test day. Practice yeah. event, essentially. Yeah, we, where we set up goals and had very like, very strategic, you know, tangible goals set out to for each of them. So, so we collected data on OSW and we figure out uh, the run up is going to be a challenge. Yes. So, OSW had the very basic goal was to actually learn how to do it. And, and Kevin Lawrence actually came out and helped tremendously yes thanks thanks to you yeah no yeah. but i mean thanks to him i mean you know he was able to come out and you know I, I you know my experience level you know i don't have definitely have as much experience as he does so it was it was it was amazing for him to come and give some feedback to you for for on how to execute and and do some of those things initiation and, yeah it was i need to learn how to do it and also where how do i even know how high up on the wall i am remember this I'm only after round one. I still think the car is twice as big as it really is. So this practice 
um, really solidified how shitty that T56 transmission really is. It's real notchy. It's very notchy and will only shift as fast as it wants to shift. Yeah. Yeah, you're, it, you're, <laughs> there's definitely a limit in, yeah, you can easily hit it. It's, it's not going to... I think here. that the power that the car made wasn't a problem no. in doing what the, you know, the course allowed. It just meant how much slower I was going to be compared to the competition. But after, after that test day, we knew on the list of things to figure out for next year, what are we going to do about the transmission? So we, uh, we figured that out. Kevin Lawrence is a huge help. Um, and I, so you mentioned about like knowing where the wall is. I know from spotting for Kevin and FD, like his method of figuring out where the wall is, is to hit it. <laughs> not, not wreck the car, but like a little yeah. bump and be like, oh, all right, we're there. <laughs> Lock it in. <laughs> yeah. And my only experience of a wall was driving it on the sim, where as soon as you touch it, it throws you into the wall. Yeah, exactly. So I was very worried and nervous about learning the limits of where to put the car by learning on the bank at OSW. Because if I crashed the car, all my budget was into stuff for next year, not to fix the car now to continue the season um, because I already blew up the 6.2. So, um, but uh, that fear got overcame by actually running the wall and uh, scraping the bumper off yes yep. <laughs> yeah so we figured out figured out a run-up that would work with the 408 stock gearing that you're current that was in the car at the time right but also uh so that they told us a couple of things uh the transmission was gonna be a problem a challenge and that we decided to try and fix the gearing issue like yeah we have we, we have thought, a spare death we probably. thought about it we took a month and thought about it we did a bunch of spreadsheets with wheel calculation, wheel speeds, um, you know, what other what other people have done and what their gearing was and what speed they were running. And it didn't become a, yeah, let's do this until three and a half weeks until the, the actual round. Until we have 4 OSW, right? Yeah. Because like I said, budget for this year was toast. It was all going into stuff for next year. I wasn't willing to spend $1,500 on a 430, you know, a different diff um, because I'd rather save that money for maybe I can buy a dogbox transmission or something or I can buy more tires or who knows. I'll just get, I'll just survive the round with the, the stock 4.08 uh, gear ratio. So, so the other kind of thing that developed um, between that test day and round two was I, I decided I was going to, I was going to build my own personal program for 2024. Um, so that kind of changed our thought process for, well, we're still a team, right? Even though we both are going to have our own programs next year, I'll do a partial season, but, um, you know, even for me to be a better spotter for ProSpec or whatever for you at this point, and having had that experience with like Nate and Kevin, is I need, I need competition seat time myself. That's, that is like the big deficit for me it's like I can I can put you on the right line all day long. I can tell you how to get there, you know, give you suggestions. We can figure that out all day. But in terms of like tandem battle and some of the little nuances of how to get the car the right way in anticipation of the lead car, that's for sure like my biggest deficit. So, uh, so I decide that, and then we we're like, okay, well, like, what are we gonna do for crew? Now there's two of us. 
we, I can't spot for you and we don't have any crew now, like, like, what's the plan? So, like, I think for both of us, immediately, two people came to mind and they're sitting at this table. Yes. Like, yeah. like there's, like, no question immediately, <laughs> hey, like, you know, if they'll say yes, like, this is, this could work. Like, we could make a pretty solid team here, so. Right, so... Um, if we're both at a round competing, which is going to happen next year. At least twice, yeah. Um, at this time, this was a, let's war game this thought process. It was a, all right, we both need our own spotter or to share a spotter. And, you know, I, and I said on my side of the field, I was like, I'm okay with me and my spotter doing the two man dealio. Um, even if we break something and I got to fix it. As long as my spotter's there to help grab some tools or whatnot, it was like my biggest deficit was I need a spotter for when Rich is driving. Whereas on your side, it was a little bit different. Yeah. You needed... I needed crew. I, I needed someone to help. So my yeah. so my wife, Candice, who's... she She's very competitive, and she can be real critical in a good way. Real? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mean so, extremely. Yeah. So like we'll watch drifting together, and she'll... She'll be like, I don't care if they're down 400 horsepower. They should be on their door. Like, she's, she is like, no excuses, play to win every run, which is great. You, you want that in somebody. So I, that, that part was pretty covered for me, other than babysitting. That, you know, so it was crew. So, and, you know, Frank and I go back uh, uh, 10 years almost now. It is actually. Next, year, next year will be 10 years. Yeah, next year will be 10 years. Yeah, we... We we uh, huddled under the uh, yeah at OSW huddled, yeah at OSW we huddled under the um, shed there out of the rain one fun event and and then the realized that we had both been been in drifting for about the same amount of years and we're both from not orig- I wasn't originally from South Florida but you were in right. South Florida drifting and then we had both ended up in Orlando so yeah. it just kind of went from there yeah so anyway so it was like well okay do we sh- do we bring them on this season and kind of like get some experience and it kind of worked great. So the way that I kind of pitched it to my buddy Chris over here was, hey man, you know, you know racing enough. You do autocross, you understand um, by going to actual tracks like Homestead and Sebring and Daytona, like you understand racing terminology and you come and hang with us to go do, um, to watch FD every once in a while. You know, not only do I want to convert him, that's why I gave him a 350Z to go do <laughs> Learner's Day, but I felt that as long as he had enough interest in coming along and doing this, that he could learn and pick up on the differences of drifting and the nuances of it as long as he was exposed to it. So it turned into, hey, let's make this a crew training year. So Frank gets the understanding of rhythm and what's expected of him and yeah. you know what happens on my car so that when he does it for Rich he can do that and then Chris can literally shadow Rich the rest of the rounds um, fill in where, where needed which you know ended up being um, pretty big you know once we kind of figured out what we we're not really doing a good job at but really just ask questions and see how Rich was communicating and, and guiding me and understanding what's happening in drifting versus road racing. Yeah, and and, and it didn't have to be like a hard sell for me because <laughs> I was thinking it a hard so, sell. Yeah, yeah, no. To to be perfectly honest, I had zero interest in drifting. Okay, like you know, I did autocross. Right, I got a regional championship when I came over here, but you know, the speeds and the risk that's involved, it's a lot 
more tame. The builds I was running, you know, are a lot more tame. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, seeing seeing this whole sport. You know, like I didn't have any interest at all. But, you know, there was two things that really attracted me to it. Was you know, right? It was a good opportunity to learn from Rich. Right? He's got a great experience, pedigree, and in, in the sport. Um, and the other thing too was, you know, you coming to me, right? Like you guys already talked about it with, uh, you know, building, um, you know, Taylor Hall's car. Like I saw that whole evolution, right? I've known you for maybe like 12 to 15 years and right. And, and seeing- Before we both knew that we were both in two cars. Yeah, yeah, you know, and seeing that progress, you know, the time you're putting into doing this, you know, and, and we share, right? Like with, with the 6.2, we shared this, uh, this, this experience of windowing our own engines. So, <laughs> so you know, like, to, to, to be a part of that, you know, to support that, you know, journey and those goals and, and, and more importantly, knowing that, you know, I, I believe in that, right? I'm not just out here wasting my time in something I didn't really have any interest in, but, you know, that's obviously changed and there's a lot of things that I've learned kind of coming into the sport and not having that background or seeing how it's kind of evolved throughout that time. So to, to pick up on the pace of where we're going here, so round two, we were planning to come out with this full crew right here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know like on my end, like I've been in motorsports almost almost my whole life. You know, I grew up like kind of a track hooligan and it just like drifting has been like my through line throughout. So it was, a, it was even easier sell for me because I love drifting <laughs> and you know, I was excited to come on for the end of this season because, you know, knowing how to work on cars and being a mechanic for so long and knowing drifting and everything else, even still, it does take learning because every driver does things differently. Every team gels differently. And, you know, the, the specific things of, you know, what your car needs and what the team needs and everything else. So, so being there for a whole season for a learning experience before just jumping in on a season where we we're going to actually compete was was definitely good and i'm super excited for the opportunity it's gonna be it's gonna be real fun next year with two cars so well and um you got to put your hands on every tool and every piece of equipment yeah. that's in my trailer that's basically yeah. going to be used for both cars if, if exactly both cars are out there and where everything is and how you know the 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 even just the little nuances to you know when you open the door of the trailer you have to hold the door <laughs> when it's windy <laughs> like... yeah, gotcha, yeah. <clears throat> so we so we go into round two and uh different layout backwards layout from and a little different from when we did round one at sebring yes yeah, so this was a new layout um, that they tested in their fun day in July that we did not attend because we were testing at OSW. Right, right. We chose testing at OSW over running turn 15 a month early, or, or turn 17 backwards a month early. Yeah, and not a decision without like some legitimate like consideration. We went back and forth about that for a little bit, but yeah. There so. was more learning to be had at OSW than by going out and running their fun event with the backwards layout turn 17. Yeah, we figured there was more unknowns with that. And I think we were right, frankly. Was I good, think we were absolutely correct. Yeah, it was, you know, good call on us, I guess. So, so yeah, we get out there and, you know, it felt organic, like, like having you guys out, you know, obviously like I have, I have the most, you know, most of them are like you guys, you know, at the track specifically, but, yeah. but, you know, so the unknown for, for me, as far as like how people operated was really crisp, but like, 
it was just kind of organic. I mean, like obviously as a, as a friend, like I, I kind of know you and you've helped me in my own garage with stuff and, uh, but yeah, just the whole thing like felt organic. It just kind of clicked like, and it wasn't even, it, the exact roles weren't obvious like right away because that kind of, I think developed over the, that first, that were that second round especially um, with like data collection and, you know, feedback and uh, the rhythm of, you know, turning the car around, you know, between stuff, but yeah, it just kind of just kind of worked, you know. That so. event was also the only full weekend event. Oh yeah, yeah. that's oh, right. Oh, that was yeah. Good call. That so um, it made it even easier for us to figure things out because the pace of the event was much slower. Mm -hmm. I totally forgot. So yeah. we also rented a house. So there's like that kind of like, you know, yeah, we have a whole bonding of like you know being together the whole weekend and you know just a little different. So. Yeah, I completely forgot about that part. Yeah, it was. Yeah, maybe not that Airbnb again. Yeah, it was yeah, a little. Yeah, not that one. No, yeah. Was, but, uh, my bad, guys. My bad. It's, it's yeah, okay. We I, tried. We tried. I really thought we were going to get serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, no, it was it was super organic. Like, I honestly thought that Chris had been the whole season with you guys. <laughs> we, like, like, Chris showed up. So, I was like. I was like, okay, like, let me find my role. And like I said, we've been friends for almost 10 years. We pitted together in fun events the whole time. So like, it seemed super organic to find, find, you know, slide my position in. And I was like, oh, Chris has been here the whole time. So I'm like, you know, find my position. And then it just kind of all fit. Yeah, like find your place. And yeah, yeah. Just so, so we get through that. So that run ended up being interesting. So there's some technical part of the track I think, you know, getting through that was a little bit of like figuring out how to drive with your eyes a little bit because there's some, it was a little deceiving. This, I would call this the aftershock of really, like, I put the car on, remember, the month before, I put the car on the wall at OSW. Oh, yeah. I finally learned how small the car reel was, but it wasn't ingrained in me yet. So this was the first time that I knew how small the car was. And trying to actually put it where I'm supposed to so there was a lot of it was a very slow learning curve for me to learn that track um, because there was some some parts like outer two where you transition the car really late and really committed and I was like well I know how small my car is now and I know how deep I'm supposed to be there if I f screw this up, there's a wall. I was going to say, you're I going very a wall. I was very scared. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't instilled in me yet the how big, the, you know, like the size of the car. Um, I, th I think, too, we figured out pretty quickly also that the last turn, which was kind of like around a little bit, a real slow speed peninsula, um, was a danger zone for us. Because if your car gets out of nitrous, it is real difficult in drifts in that scenario to get the nitrous to kick back in and to light the tires back off. Like right. near impossible. The car was, we had the car as loose as we felt we could go without, you know, just getting dusted by these Corvettes out there. Yeah. Um, we could have made it looser, but then on outer one and outer two, I'd be sitting on limiter. Um, so it was a compromise of we want enough grip um, to be on the nitrous limiter, as I call it, where the, the RPMs go to 6,500. And then instead of making it to 68 at red line and the nitrous turns off, it kind of just falls back into the nitrous window and the nitrous kicks back on. 
So that's where we kind of put the car at. Um, and the course layout, I liked the course layout. I thought it was a good test of our skills and it had technical aspects and commitment aspects to it. But the, the hairpin for the Interclip 2 was, if you didn't have the right equipment, you were, you were on, on risky business. Because remember, and I'm gonna bring up another name in here, you know, me and Sasha are both running F-Body T56 transmissions, both running V8s with nitrous. And we both approached that same problem with two different solutions of both which had their own risks. Yeah. I approached it with stand third gear, hope the nitri hope you're going fast enough for the nitrous to kick in and you know, you'll be okay. Yeah, you accepted the nitrous part of the risk of it, right? Right, yeah. whereas Sasha accepted the transmission part of the risk where he was downshifting into second gear and both of us failed. Yeah, both, yeah. Both of us failed. Yeah, ultimately I, both were wrong. Ironically enough, I know like in the beginning you were talking about like going to like a V8 swapped S chassis and like how we tell people not to do that and you like skip through. But ironically enough, running a 4.8 with a ton of nitrous has kind of given you the same aspect yeah. of like a real PE car where you have to like learn very intimately how to drive the car in very specific ways because like drive around the engine. That actually brings up a very good point. Um, one thing that I started learning this round that I haven't really talked about is I started learning how to slip the clutch on the launch from the start line in order to be in the nitrous to not get left. Um, but not blow the tires off and do a pro stock burnout mm -hmm. the whole way up Correct. to entry, right? Yeah, exactly. Except that OSW, because that's the only way you can <laughs> right? do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Necessary there, but yeah. Pretty yeah. much every car has to just do like a three gear burnout to initiate an OSW. Well, so, so... You you probably went too. So shout out to Jackson and the U.S. Drift team because U.S. Drift Circuit team because I felt like every round, like the layouts had pretty different elements, like like between like technical and flowy and you know the oval and different feels to it. Like like no layout really felt like it was a, a repeat. Frankly, no, that was that was great. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. And yeah. what was cool about it is. Sure, you can kind of look at Sebring and go, well, you just drive on the skid pad of turn 17, but leaving from under the bridge or exiting by going under the bridge is totally different from entering and exiting the OSW skid pad. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah and, it, it, and absolutely, like like what you were saying, like it was, it was good to see that the team put in, like the tracks were like very technical. Like there was definitely things that had to be figured out at like every round. Yeah, they all had a technical element to it, which I, yeah. which you know, like, it's it's like a double edged sword because it, cre it creates a little bit of difficulty, but that's also part of the challenge, right? Like that's that's part of the game, you know. And I think it ultimately, you know, adds to the feeling of success when you get it right, you know. Yeah. Also adds to the frustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair <laughs> when point. Yeah. when there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it, and it yeah. just bites yeah. you. No, fair. so so to get to that, we we. We go to qualify on this time, you know, first qualifying run. Yes, yeah, so um, so because it's a weekend, we actually qualified really late. And the qualifying went so long that even though I'm in the bottom of the points and go pretty soon, my first run was actually dark. Yeah. And then when I did my second run, it was pitch black. And, and, and we as a team, right, we, we made a decision together 
we were worried that the temperature change in the track, which we thought was going to be a factor, and ended up being no factor, unfortunately for us. We, we kind of set the car up a little different in terms of tire pressure to maybe accommodate for a grippier track. So we still have questions, but we still learned. Right. Our questions are still, how much tire pressure are we supposed to adjust per track surface temperature? Yeah. You know, what is that answer? We don't know. But as far as what the car is capable of, the weather we have in Florida, and, you know, regardless of a, maybe it was five degrees that it dropped, mm -hmm. like, we don't need to change anything. There's not enough change to make a difference, or we're not running enough heat or you know, stress through the tire to actually make a difference. Yeah, we're not like far enough into the margin where yeah. like just that slight change would affect it that much. Yeah, and that was a lesson learned. So, yeah. you know, well, so you go, you go to enter, you end up putting tires off because the car, the track was not as grippy as we had anticipated. We put I some thought I had there. a banger run. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, you're banging cones. That's but, what you're banging. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I was, <laughs> what, like three inches off? Yeah, knocking uh, cones uh, off the track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's something I want to change for next year, this whole two tire off rule. Or, or, or at least propose and try to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I'm, we, we got some changes at OSW, but not this last round. Either way, it's, if, if we're going to be FD pro-am and we're going to run FD rules, I think that our tire off rules should be the same. Yeah. I, they're into being, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. I, and I get what the. There is an argument there when they say, well, if there was a wall there, right, then two tires off, you'd, you'd be smashing the car. And, you know, I, I get that. I think that is a, that's a fair point, but I, I'm still not a huge fan of the two tire thing. Three, three tires is so much Absolutely. more, so much more definitive, you know, yeah. uh, in, in my mind, you know, you just get into this kind of gray zone sometimes, the two tire thing. I feel like we even talked about it, like the, the season that FD did two tires off, they were having yeah, like in 2018. Yeah. Yeah, so there were so many runs that just became boring even though yeah. the guy was literally an inch off the line and they were just like just give him a little bit more of a deduction and give him, give us a one more time. Yeah, so many zeros on technicalities that year. It was yeah. like painful to watch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So and it was and it was a little bit like that in, in this season. There were some of those like well, especially with qualifying, I would say. Yeah. Yes. It was kind of painful on some of the technical, you know, qualifying zeros that would happen. No, it's no excuse, right? We, yeah, at we, the same, yeah, like you're saying, at the same time, we got to work within the judging, yeah. you know. So. Grant, they, that's what the judges wanted. That's yeah, what the exactly. judges stated and, in the driver's meeting. Yeah, and it was you clear. Know, it yeah. was clear. Yeah. So, you know, we got to work with what we got. But, yeah, as a, as a preference, yeah. So, um, so that happens. We get tires off on technicality. We're back in the same position of, you know, just get points on the board at this point. Like, yep. like get points on, get in, get in the game. 23. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I did yeah, I did yeah. not care. It actually took them so long to score me that they didn't score me until like three runs later, because they because they didn't know what to do. Yeah, because I missed every single zone. I drove right in the middle of the course. And I stayed in drift, and they're just like, "What do we even score him?" Yeah, and it, it it's just one of those things. Like, just get points, get in. There's, there's absolutely no value add at that point in trying to, like, go for it. And, you know, we yeah, it's, it's pretty really conservative. So we get in, and we have another top 32 battle. Yep, another another Corvette. So now I've faced, <laughs> this will be my third Corvette. That's right. Uh, this time, Brandon Cox in a C5. And um, 
now because this was a two-day event, we got to do tandem practice. Yeah. So round one, we only had a practice session or a long practice session. And then we did qualifying, and then we then went right into battles, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Um, for round two, we had the two days. So we had double practice, qual. And then on Sunday, we got tandem practice and then competition. So this was the first time I was like, oh, get the focus on some tandem and actually try to, like, not just figure out the course and drive the course, try to drive with other drivers. Um, and... Uh, that was that was really that was really valuable. And and I would say too, this was this is where this was the I saw some first signs of oh okay like John's figuring tandem out a little bit. Like you showed some some signs of you know I, I could see little little elements of greatness you know sprinkled in there where I'm like okay like I, I walked out of that event saying you know. John could probably make something happen here. Like he, he's got, I think he has what it takes. We just have to keep, see time and keep moving. Like I, I kind of saw some elements of what I think everyone started to see at the end of the season, but I could, yeah. That round, I took a completely different mental approach and it's now evolved, but it's the same mental approach. Before when I would tandem, I would take a very road coursey follow and I would be mirroring the driver perfectly. I'd be exactly where they're putting the car, um, you know, making all the same corrections they were. I was a mirror image of them th two and a half cars back. That's not good enough for drifting. So it was like, hey, stop treating your follow as a follow. And I tell myself to actively crash into the lead driver's door. And that's when things changed. And, and I, I really saw your ability to mimic even again, you yeah. know, you're two and a half cars back. Like your mimicry was like, oh, like you're, you got the timing. Like you're anticipating and doing things when they're doing it just too far back. If we could just mm -hmm. close that gap, like it's right. game, it's game over. Like we we're we're gonna go deeper into into these rounds and, and start doing better if we can. In this round, I started closing that gap. Yeah, so so we end up losing the losing the cox in that one. Yep, lead run, fell out of nitrous window, zeroed, yeah. took myself out. That's all, all she wrote on that one. So that was out in the 32 on round two. So in between those rounds, we, we make the decision to get a 437 gear, which is where we landed on the optimal ratio for you know, what, we were, what we wanted to do. Right, there's, there's, two, there's two factors here that really pushed this decision, because we had been talking about it for a whole month prior. Right. It was the car bogged. In round two, man, if I had a 437 back there, maybe things would have been better. Yeah, and give yourself a little more buffer with instead, that. And, and instead of buying a diff or whatever the, the solution was, because we didn't know it at the time, instead of buying it only for OSW, I was now buying it for potentially everything, for all of Sebring as well. Maybe not round one, we don't know, but definitely would have loved to run that at round two. Right. Um. So that meant for at least half the season, round two and round three, this diff would be... Potentially game changer. Potentially game changer and, and better. Yeah. Um, and then you also figured out how to build and make these diffs at an affordable price. 
Yeah, that was a, that was that was a, that was a that was, fun bit of research in the middle of the uh, night. I can't take all the credit. That was Frank and I going back and forth at like midnight, a couple nights, going, "Hey, uh, let's do a let's do a part number." You know. Uh, yeah, I, I was like finding pictures of bearings and then zooming into the part number and then searching that part number and then what that part number went into, like. Yeah, so we I'm very good at research. So, so Reverse we, yeah, so and then and, and I had already for myself been figuring out, been learning all the um, how to rebuild a diff completely for you know, because I'm for my own car, so it was kind of a natural okay, let's do that. But I would say, so the other thing that did help is you started sim driving, and Tiny in that group really helped you out with, with, a, with a big component of that, yes. So after so round two we also had a new announcer right. uh jonathan uh goes by instructor tiny um and another, i found another, out another I, I found out he was a veteran and one thing that rich and i were kind of okay with in the beginning with being low-key and just starting out like not really worried about the hype or the announcers or anything like that but the progress that i made on round two was like I can't be the nobody hiding hiding anymore. So, knowing that he was a vet, and knowing that, um, you know, we wanted them to actually talk about my car properly instead of the super monster V8 S14. Um, I reached out to him on Instagram and found out that he is part of a drifting uh, sim drifting community called ACS, and they do um, they also do uh, sim drift competitions as well. And he hooked me up with their guys that make custom cars for their sim competitions and was like, hey, here's my buddy's dyno graph. And basically build, built me, for those of you that you know do the sim drifting, a VDC competition S14, but with my dyno graph. Yeah, based around your power curves. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. So they built me that car and then... I synced up with all the rest of them and started driving OSW with them every week, every Thursday night, um, leading up to OSW. And, and a car that was close enough to your car that yes. you got some of the, the same like elements and feel that, you know, maybe not exact, but close enough. The same enough. level of commitment that was required right. to not fall out of the power band. Right. And also, for those that don't know, one of the reasons too is... So, John's car has a lot of like veteran elements to it that are based around like your engineering unit, the engineer for combat, you know, goes back to you being a combat engineer, combat engineer, you know, the flag on the, on the right side and, and, and being reverse. Right. And then there's unit patches on the left because you always wear your yeah. unit patch that you're assigned to on your left. So, so I think that'll be more apparent with the theme next year, but yeah, just to kind of point that out too, you know, a lot of the veteran stuff is, I mean, you know, clearly like you know, important to you, but important to all, you know, the whole team really like that's, yeah. but yeah, but just the fact that there's another veteran out there other than, um, Steven with, um, with veteran trust that I could connect with Yeah, and making that connection, um, was important to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, because I also learned after that round that Brandon Cox was a Marine. Yes. I did not know that prior to either. As I'm, well. I'm so disappointed that you didn't throw crayons into his car. In, during one of the practices. I told him, I told him, I, I told him I was going to do that. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm saving that for next year. All right. Well, yeah. so he knows it's coming now. But he, he knows. Expect some crayons in your future. Yeah. Yeah. You've been <clears throat> fragged. So, 
<laughs> so we we so you're doing sim stuff with tiny so shout out to him in that group like that was a huge help that that was huge all all the way for the rest of the year yeah and then we and then changing the gearing gave you some buffer you know going to sw2 so then for me personally my wife had a you know family emergency had to fly to town that weekend and i i wasn't able to to physically be there which like had my you know blood on fire you know the whole time watching on tv but mm-hmm. um so i was able to be at, at that round but you guys like you wouldn't have known that i wasn't there like no like these guys totally stepped up you know we're already stepping up anyway but just absolutely crushed it so and i knew i, I had a feeling that with that gear and seeing you doing your test runs like osw could be your track like you could do real good there i had a lot of faith in you I don't think you did at that time in yourself, but I, I was confident that this could be a real good round. Yeah, no, the, that day started off with, as a military term I like to use, embrace the suck. That day was just about <laughs> yeah. bracing the suck, getting through it, and just doing what the car can do, and accepting whatever result that was, because it just the, it's not enough car to be competitive at, at, at OSW. Um, so... Do we, do we, do we start going into what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Mr. Positivity. I'm like, you do great. So, uh, first lap, how'd it go? I caught on fire again. (laughs) Again. (laughs) Oh, uh, what what kind of fire, John? Another oil fire. Oh, so let me back up to the day before we're having lunch the day before and he's like, yeah, I changed the oil and, uh, my oil plug stripped out. I'm like, what do you mean? Okay. He's like, yeah, well, I, I, I threw it in and it, it kind of tightened up. And I, and I was like, well, just keep in mind that, you know, crankcase pressure is still a thing. Like, it's not just about it holding itself in that, you know, there could be a little pressure pushing back on it. Just, you know, maybe check it, like, after the first run or two. And uh, it checked itself. Yes. Um, <laughs> and from a video I got from one of the video guys uh, much later after the event, I was technically on fire before I even left the bank. So metal. And not in the right way. <laughs> and not. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a fire run. It was actually. It was. It was so great. Like, I had showed up and I was I was in the stands watching and I saw that run and I was like, this run is great. It's going to be a good day. We can clean that up a little bit. And then I heard fire and I was like, I sure hope that's not John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, car catch. So, that's not the only thing that happened. At the end of the run, you felt something too. Yes, so as I left the very end of Outer 2, there was a very loud whine and clunking, and I wasn't sure if it was transmission or, or the, rear di- end or the, or the yeah. diff. I pretty much was like, it's got to be the diff we just built. Yeah, so you get back into the pit. So I get a phone call. Yes. <laughs> you know, which is fine and about everything, uh, about the fire and everything. So they're... Checking out the fire stuff. Uh, I'm talking, I think I was talking to Chris at the time. Chris was the perfect man oh, yeah, for yeah. all the communication Just, and questions. No, he, and Chris understood the assignment that day. Yeah, well, I think everyone absolutely. did. So, I knew what the problem was before. So when I heard what happened, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's a diff. And when, so when I had built the diff, I didn't mean to. I over-torqued the pinion nut and then backed it back out and tried to retorque it. And so I immediately suspected that to be the problem. That as soon as the car like you know got to speed, it it reseated itself and it, the pinion nut wasn't where it needed to be to 
to get you know to get the pressure on it. So Frank's already in the, like I'm, starting to like remove the diff. Well, I hadn't started to remove the diff yet. I had the drive shaft out, and as soon as I had the drive shaft out, I was like the pinion's loose. I was telling Chris. Chris was telling you, and you were like, "Try to tighten the pinion up." Yeah, I was like, "Just, just." I'm pretty sure this is it. Check it. So, so half hearing the specs on the phone, uh, you're like, "Don't use an impact." So I was like, <laughs> "No." I said, "I said, give it like, like set it on like one and give it like one little good." I all I heard was like, "Tighten it up loosely." Like, don't use an impact. And I went, "Chris, give me the impact." <laughs> <laughs> and that impact I have at the track is an old impact. It doesn't have settings. It, it has no only setting. has full right. full dugga. I was real real gentle. It was a gentle dugga, but I <laughs> I hit it about twice, and then I felt it, and I was like, "That feels like a 240 diff." Yeah. And then you said it's good. Yeah. And then John was like, "I worried about the diff," and I was like, "100 percent, we're good." Uh, I was and like, I was like 95. percent I'm pretty sure this is yeah. it. We're good. I looked at Chris and Dana. I'm like 50 50. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, don't tell John, 50-50. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I was still legitimately like 95%. I'm like, I'm, I'm almost, having the one, being the one built, who built the thing, I'm like, I'm, I'm almost sure this is it. So yeah. And the timing kind of worked out because at that time, I had finished running around the entire pits and trying every solution I could on track to uh, fix my stripped drain plug oh, yeah. that was no longer existing and threads no longer existing that turned into, hey, Chris, you need to go. Well, I I was like I so I, I had I knew the whole size so I was like hey we're gonna put this size MPT and I've got the tap I've everything I had everything here to do it I just wasn't there so Chris calls me on the way and I'm like he's like well I'm gonna try and stop at a place you know close so I was yeah. like okay executive on feet no oh right yeah there. yeah Fantastic. I, I saw like, like I was just like man Rich is like too far from here and then like you know, it would have been what I, two I, hours I think almost. he was gonna run something over your place too and I was just like. We just don't have the luxury of this time. So while I'm here, you know, just you know, call up a couple places nearby, you know, see if they have it, see if they can put it off to the side, and then hopefully, you know, we can spin this back around in time. And I'm about to load the kids in the car in the truck too, and just like get to them wherever I get to them along the way. So, but so I was like, okay, well, here's what you need: this this size tap, this size plug, you know, this size you know this size drill bit, you know, and you're good. And and then I think you called me and were like, is will this work? And it's close enough and yeah, so he found it within 10 minutes of the track. That was absolutely critical. And the timing was, the, the timing, even though the day is full of shit, the timing of the day just kept falling right on the mark. Because oh, yeah. by the time that Frank and I got the fire retardant all off the car, cleaned up, mm -hmm. pushed back in the pits, back up on jack stands, we were taking apart the front passenger suspension in order to get a, a drill to drill the pan. As Chris rolled up, we're really yeah. good at getting fire retardant off of a car. By the way, yeah, we're like, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, water hose, you just got to push the car to the water and do hose. it really early. Like, like, don't wait. You have to do it yeah. immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Oh, we we are good at getting the fire retardant off the car within the first hour. <laughs> yeah. Slide United's well, tips for <laughs> having a car that caught on fire: get the get the fire stuff off immediately. Well, I was worried about it because of the the year where it was Forsberg, where they pulled his pin. I remember and it took them like like the rest of the day to get that car started like he was out but it took him the rest of the day before that car could even start so as soon as i saw him like dump the fire retardant i was like oh no i think i told you over the phone i was like hey there's a there's a hose over at the bathroom there like well i only knew that by the way because 
we that's what we did the first time that it caught a fire. <laughs> that's that's so, exactly what we did. It wasn't my novel idea or anything. I just, yeah. you know, I'd been there before with John. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, we got that cleaned up. And I think you got back out for qualifying. Like your next run was qualifying, I think. I did. Um, we had the car done and ready with enough time with enough time before to drive around the pits to check if the diff was whining or not. Yeah. And basically, I pulled the car back into the pits, got all my helmets and everything else, and was next in line and was driver number three, right? Because they want us there three cars before. Um, in line to go qualify. Yeah, so so I'm at home watching at this point. I know that you guys are. I know you guys are out. I'm, you know, I'm in communication. I'm getting word. So I'm like, oh man, let's go. Like you got. Like, I'm I'm sending vibes your way. Like you got this. You know, the team's crushing it. And I'm also like crazy proud of you know you guys for like yeah for being able to do that. Like I'm I'm like I've never been so proud to be on a team before. Like, you know, then that, that whole event, the way it went. So you, yeah, so you. I went out for my first qualifying and the thing that we knew was the risk factor that was going to happen, happened. Yeah. Car didn't go into fourth gear. Yeah. So you didn't enter, you didn't hear entry. The, the tires did not get lit off for the entry. So that was, so, <laughs> so for because the third, the for three out of four times now, we're going into not so great eight. Right. Well, you know, sim simply put. You got to run fourth gear for the right wheel speed on the OSW bank, and the transmission just didn't go into fourth, um, and that's a T56 problem in life, and happens to Sasha too, and that's that's just yeah. what happened. Can't you know? I'm gonna blame on driver error, but really mechanically, there's nothing I can do about it. Sometimes. Yeah. So, but the gear's fine. But yes. The so confirmed, gear's fine. Oil is staying in the motor, which is always a plus. Yes. Uh, yeah, there was nothing weird or smoky or yeah. nope. Car made it around the track. The diff did not. Uh, that was the other question: is if the diff was good. Diff was good. Diff was good. So just went out for the not so great uh, qualifying and got in. And got in. Yeah, I mean, but you also turn. We were worried about their oil oil being up on the front tires too. So. Oh yeah, right. oh, yeah, yeah. We had been right. we had been. Uh, cleaning the front tires to get all the oil out of the grooves and off of the fronts. Yeah, we went through two cans of brake clean, mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to just yeah. make sure the front tires didn't have any oil in them. Exactly. Yeah. Especially with the wall there. So, so you've only done three laps the entire day. Two of them being qualifying laps, and you get you you get in. You qualify in the second. Well, and, and special note, if I wasn't in the not so great qualifying, I didn't take a midline qualifying oh, yeah. run this time. My yeah. qualifying score was right. in the 80s and would have qualified oh, in yeah. third. Your qualifying run was... Yeah. And, I, this, and this was from, again, going back to the test day we did, which is why I was so optimistic going into SW, like, for you, was like, no, like, you you could do real good here, you know? Oh, yeah. Barring, like, cars running away from you or something like that, but in terms of, like, line and getting the car where it needs to be, like, this could be a strong round. So, so yeah, you, so, yeah, you have a would-be qualified third... Uh, as far as points, but right, you're but, you're just down. So yeah, I'm in the 32. I think you went up in. Well, you went up against Steve Steven, didn't you? Yes, I did. Well, who, who also had but an before that. <laughs> oh yes. So we were. We what were, happened was. <laughs> well, when when you came off, the car was overheating. Yes. Quote unquote. Quote air unquote. air quotes. The car was overheating. 
So immediately I jump to, we're grabbing bags out of the coolers and we're putting ice in the intake. We're popping holes in water bottles and spraying down all the coolers, spraying down the radiator. We're like, let's get the car cooled down. And then... By the way, also helped with getting some of the fire retardant that got elsewhere. So it was get the car cooled down so that we can do tandem practice because we were thinking it was just like organically overheating. And then when, when you came back, we had, it was about a 20 minute break that we had. And then enough, you, enough time to, you know, hit the, hit the john yeah. and, and yeah. come back and try to relieve some cramping with a banana, you know. And then when you fired the car up, you were like, it's 260 degrees. I'm like, there's no way. How? <laughs> so, you know, thought it was an air bubble, ended up bleeding, no air bubble. And uh, that's when I was like, do you have a thermal gun? And we started checking everything and all of the temperatures were correct. And what did you find? We decided, well, we, we diagnosed that it was a coolant temp sensor. So I went in the trailer to get a coolant temp sensor and I came out and he was holding the contents of the coolant temp sensor <laughs> yeah. in his hand. And I did not think that that was a thing or know that that was even possible. So, I did not think they were two combined pieces. <laughs> I had never thought about the internals of a coolant temp sensor. So, the, so to be clear, the, <laughs> what, the <laughs> yeah. stem was still in the block, was still in the head yes. of the coolant temp sensor for now less in the front. The stem is still there. The rest of it, not not so much. Yeah. I, I'm impressed that that happened. I still have no idea how. I but. 20 years, never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it had to have gotten like hit or something like that. Yeah. When you I know, I got, I got a, I should have saved it for the, uh, the fail wall, but oh, I, did, I did not, it didn't win the garbage. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so then you guys go into kind of scramble mode again. Yeah. Right now you're, you're right for back. second time. Right back into scramble mode to like, okay, like sit rep, what do we do? Right? Like. Well, originally he goes, fire it up and see if it leaks. Yes. So we fired it up. And it just, I was like, it seeps. We're good. Oh, so, you guys called me about this. Yeah, right, so right. then we were going with different solutions. So I said, well, if it's not going to overheat, let's run without it. But with the, the map set up and stuff like that, you have to have the coolant temp. So my initial thought was, let's zip tie it under the intake. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I get the second call of the day for, for this. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm pretty sure like you can't do that because of some of the... There's feedback yeah. from the coolant for. And that's some of exactly what I yeah. what I told them about. Yeah. If I'm not at 160, it doesn't yeah, unlock it have done a it. lot of the different parts of the tables and the timing and nitrous and everything. And too, I, yeah. it was mostly the concern about nitrous. I don't yeah. unless the car is operating correctly. I with how yeah. big yeah. of a nitrous I'm spraying, I don't want to operate the car unless it's running. Right. Yeah. So so fun fact: John plugs the uh, coolant port in the other head with a coolant temp sensor. <laughs> That it, doesn't. Get, yeah, it, does, it doesn't have the uh, the plug in. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I broke it many years ago yeah. between I between know. cars and uh, yeah. yeah yeah. So anyway, the others the other heads plugged to the coolant temp sensor. So we decided we're gonna put the coolant temp sensor in that head, and we're gonna the the spare one you got on the yeah trailer, we're gonna right? put, we're gonna put the spare one in that head and run the cable over. So John and Chris start unrouting the cable to see if we can plug it in. And I start pulling coils and getting spark plug wires out of the way so that I can get to this coolant temp sensor, which I now have loose and in my hand along with- How much hot cool coolant? <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, can confirm, 165 degrees. The motor was running perfect. Judging uh, so, by the redness of your arm, yeah, so give or take I, a few degrees. So I'm changing the coolant temp sensor. They're getting the wire routed over, and we didn't have wire. So we had to use, was the Amprobe or the multimeter wire? Oh, no. I had, uh, Chris found my jumper wire that I made to, like, ah. drain the fuel, the fuel cell. So I just... Cut that and, yeah, re- and but, remade that. But in a pinch, we didn't have designated spare wire. We didn't yeah. have a crimper. You know, there's a lot of stuff. Obviously, you know, the, that we kind of took note of. That we but but out. it was it again. Like if round two was like everything organically gelled, like this round, it was there was like no <laughs> bubbles. Like it just worked out perfectly. Like Chris was in communication with Rich and like finding stuff. I was able to like wrench. John was able to wrench with me. Uh, we had my girlfriend there that we asked for tape, and instead of going in the trailer, she just disappeared and came back with tape. It was amazing. <laughs> I don't know where she got it from, but everything just worked out perfectly to where as soon as I had the sensor on, the only thing we were waiting on was like me getting the coils back on. And then John was in getting suited up, and we got out just in time for one run of tandem practice. Which they almost didn't let me run. Because I was sitting at the line, and from all the water coming out, it was getting a lot of steam from those those the head those header wraps. They do their job, but man, do they suck! I hate them. I don't. I yeah, try, like, I try to use them. They get fiberglass everywhere, and like anything touches them, you have to let it burn off for like five minutes yeah. at the yeah. highest temperature you're gonna run. It's it's, it's definitely a double edged sword. Yeah. So um, I'm sitting there, ready, waiting to go out to just try to get a lap in in tandem because I, uh, I don't know what's going to happen and I had a game plan to run third which wasn't good enough but anyways um, and the guy at the line was freaking out because remember I caught on fire earlier that day I shut down the track for 45 minutes due to oil all over the track and now I'm sitting here in line with smoke coming out of my hood everywhere yeah. I had to convince him and promise him <clears throat> it was just water don't worry Yeah, and got one tandem lap but the guy after outer halfway through outer zone one shut it down so it was really just a confirmation that the car would drift in third this is your fourth lap all day correct yeah. so and now and now we have to do against uh steam test narrow who's like no slouch i mean he's I think he's third in the i mean he had like a fluke thing i think to get him to to not qualify for his run but yeah, like right out of the gate, it's like, okay. He, he had the, the same issue that we had of uh, transmission issue. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it, so yeah, four runs and then, cool, let's get, let's do this. Yeah, I think Steven's the best driver out there. Yeah, he's up there. Finished third in the points overall. And yeah. Like, it, yeah, in my mind, like, very, very solid. Like, every run I see is solid. If I were to propose a goal for next year, it would be to beat him. like beat him yeah. it when we if we go up against him because he is a very solid driver and yeah. like a good mark to to set a sight on. Yeah, well, Stephen, if you're ever gonna watch this and listen to this, yeah, absolutely, I, no homo. I've been looking up to you all year. Yeah, we we really like you, but we're gonna beat you next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the goal has always been to get to your level yeah. and beat you. So. Yeah. That's what's gonna happen next year. Yeah. So so we end up losing that bout. That's the first time we're gonna get to we speak no, speaking of beating next we year. We lost that bout. We lost that bout. <laughs> <laughs> dun 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 and more. Right, right, right. <laughs> um yeah, lost that battle. Um 
you know, I, I had a good, uh, so yeah, I qualified lower than him. He was 16, I was 17. Um, so I chased first, first time ever chased, first time actually ever chasing on the bank. With like a, like a car that's smoking, like like putting out a lot of like, yeah. like white out smoke. You mean a car that doesn't straighten halfway through the bank and then pulls off? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so um, that was when this, this, that is the moment when I learned that not only do I need to try to actively crash into their door, I need to stay inside. So from here on forward, my motto in chasing is stay inside, crash into them. Stay inside, crash into them. Because well, I got blinded by the smoke, took a guess, and was completely wrong. <laughs> Went yeah, four tires off. And also, again, like, even with that OSW practice day, like, how many laps was that in total? Like, under 10 laps, like, in that car on the... Completed laps or attempted well, laps? No, well, I mean completed laps. Like, so yeah. the muscle memory of, like, where everybody's gonna run that still, too... And then added the smoke and added, you know, being slightly outside is. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think walking out of the, going definitely for, I think all of us, um, we've all kind of like, we saw the capabilities of the team as a whole, like coming together, yeah. uh, overcoming, you know, major obstacles and just like no quit. Like it was going to, we were just going to go down with an absolute fight no matter what you I saw a huge change in your confidence and your own abilities coming out of that event. I'm sure we all saw it. Oh, like, yeah. Like, Absolutely. all of a sudden, you were like, oh, no, I can do this. All right. Like, round four, it's on. Like, I like you. I think, too, like, you saw you had the ability to drive to the limit of the car and where, like, the car, okay, now the car is holding me back. And I, I think that was the first glimpse that you saw of that, really. Right. Well, I didn't really see it myself because that whole round – I knew that as long as the car got into fourth gear, I could I could put down a good run. It was, you know, good like getting over that constant hurdle of, is it going to go in fourth? Is it going to go in fourth? Is it going to go in fourth? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, pulling off that track after after Steven, remember I said in the beginning, you know, embrace the suck. It turned into, I'm looking forward to OSW next year. I'm going to come out and put people in the trailer. Because I can put down a lead line, I just need a little bit of seat time in that practice. Because I know where I'm supposed to be now. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think you're you're definitely solid on OSW. Like just from your your lead runs, like if you can get the the tandem line of OSW, yeah. like solid. Yeah. So so the whole team really like every element of the team left OSW. You know, it was like, like by far the hardest event, and I think for a lot of people, you know, they would have walked away just completely defeated. I think we all like we all walked away from us everywhere. That was a win. I was I was hyped. Yeah, I was hyped. like I would do that day all over again. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it, including the fact that I left work, went to OSW, and then went to work. Yeah, thirty six so, hours. Right 30, 36 hours is my limit. I get a little weird after thirty six hours away. <laughs> so, but yeah, like other than being there in person, you know, yeah, like that. It just that was a big game changer for the whole team. It was like the worst day, but yeah, the biggest impactful day and. I think that's one of the things I love about our team is we don't get defeated in those days. We just kind of like take from it what we need to and are like, all right, like, like we now have the confidence that we can get through a day like that, right? Like, yeah. that's no longer like a, a question mark. Like, oh no, like we have the stuff to do it. Yeah, no, it's just we a bad went day. From, 
figure out the problem and keep it moving. Yeah. Yeah, we went from gelling and coming together to, all right, here's the worst case scenario. How do you do? To, to add to your military terms today, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Right? Yes. Yeah. I, that, that, just def, that was the def, definition of that day. So now we're all, the whole team's like, oh, round four is going to be fun. Like, we are, we are about it for, for yeah. round four. So uh, we show up. You know, we, we, uh, we camped the night before. We had a great night before, you know, hanging out at the trailer. and yeah, I had to peer pressure you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But we made it happen. I'm super glad I did. And we just were, we all showed up kind of like, you know, game faces on for, for yeah, around for like Raider Rock. And uh, that was a tough technical. There, were, there was a, an, especially like one element of that track that was real tough where you're coming out of our zone two into interclip one. And we realized pretty, we figured out pretty quickly, you've got to get your momentum down before coming into that interclip to like actually make that line happen. Right, so before we start talking more technical stuff of what happened that day, do you want to remind me what our three goals were? All right. I was about to bring up Sorry. Three okay. Goals. So yeah, we had three goals <laughs> because for Because so far this year, how many times have I caught on fire? Two. Okay, so yeah, fair point. Don't catch fire. Qualify the first time out. Don't don't go into a 32. And we had noticed, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, I want to uh, add to this. We had noticed that we were within striking distance of like Davy Peoples. Okay. And I want it before everyone starts like getting all like crazy because we're calling him, you know, sounds like we're calling him out. This is a, really a compliment to him, right? He's done a good job kind of like marketing himself and being like a recognizable person. So... Yeah, at OSW where he didn't compete, how many Davy People shirts did yeah. you see? Yeah, so like 15, 20 shirts. Yeah. Yeah. So that so he kind of became like a like a benchmark for us on on the um season, you know, standings list to say, hey, like if we go and we do pretty well, like we could jump ahead of him and, you know, move up in the ranking some. In the same vein that Steven is a goal for next year. Exactly. Beating yeah, Steven in a battle would yeah. be a goal for next year. Yeah. So so really like if, if for some reason he hears this, like like this isn't hate. This is, this is frankly a compliment. Yeah. But we were we went into that going like, hey, those are our three things. Yeah. Get ahead of him in points, whether he's there or not. Which unfortunately didn't make it. Um, don't catch fire and qualify first time out. Um, and we qualify first time out. There's no fire, and we ended up doing that. So. Yeah. So now you can go backtrack. Into All right. I thought there might have been a fire because you almost jinxed it because we were coming back from from we were coming back from the first practice and you were like, we haven't caught fire yet. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh. And then you guys told me that after I got out of the car and I was like, great. That's my big mouth. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, so for, first practice out, you know, your car seems like it's running strong. You're really confident, which man, like that does so much as a driver just to have, to go into having confidence, I think like is, is a game changer in itself. And you right away started laying down, you know, decent laps that we were, I, it was, I started to see like, oh, we're, we're not just trying to get 80% of the way there. We might be working in the, the last 20% of like cleaning up lines and stuff, which which okay, like this is the first time all season where we're not just talking about distances. We're we're like really, you know, getting into some of the more nuanced stuff. Yeah. So I'm no longer like if I got to put it in an outer zone now, I'm no longer like 
in this like three foot margin of space of where I'm pointing the car, I'm now in more of a six inch plus margin of where I'm putting the car. I know where the rear of my car is. I know where the front of my car is. Um, I know what the car likes to do when you don't lift off the throttle. I know how much I can slow the car down under angle with handbrake or with foot brake. How much left foot brake I can actually give the car before it says, no, I'm going to straighten up on you or bog. I'm, I'm very well, finely well-tuned with the car. Yeah, and it was like super apparent. I mean, just spotting with you, like, and we 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 had really done a good job too. Like after the first after the first practice session, we went to the trailer, drew out the track like we normally do, and said, okay, here's here. When I say this, this is this is the area I'm talking about. And we kind of like dialed in some of the language, and we were just kind of all firing on all cylinders. So, and you had some phenomenal chase runs in practice too. Um, actually, with, with Steven again with with Tasnero. Yeah, my chases in practice weren't half bad. No. I would I would argue that while my my biggest struggle that weekend wasn't necessarily what you were focusing on with Interclip 1, my biggest struggle was getting the run up correctly mm. cuz now instead of putt putting the car up there, I'm I don't lift and I, I I run the car hard up there. And I don't know if you noticed, this was the first time that I was purposely flicking the car Mm. I was not doing a straight line handbrake pull like I was mm -hmm. doing in round one and round two and like I've always been doing at OSW. I was purposely doing a minor Scandinavian flick yeah. because it was allowing me to set up for outer one better than doing a handbrake pull. Yeah, I, I could Just, hear it, but from yeah. our, my vantage point where I was trying to look at the more technical part of the track, I, I couldn't see it at all. It was Right, so my struggle was with the way that the car brings on power with the nitrous, getting the car to like... Part of it is all timing and what the car wants to do, and the other part is no, not yet. Don't 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 go out there yet. So it's just figuring out all, all the bumps and grooves were in turn fifteen yeah. to make sure that it wouldn't flick too early. Because the whole first practice, I just kept dialing the car because it was entering before I wanted to. I wasn't choosing to enter early. The car was choosing to enter early and just getting a wrangle around the around the car. Yeah, with noticing the flick. Uh, so like at OSW, just during that practice day, when you got a little frustrated and you like drove the car super aggressively, that aggressive style really suits you. Like the flick entries and like driving full committed, like aggressively, like you, your, your style is starting to come. Like as you're getting more comfortable in the car, like the aggressive style is starting to come out and like everything's coming together and it's, it's starting to. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, because one thing to note, and this is where I'm going to give the judges a little little haze on this one, is they told us in the driver's meeting, we don't want to see you do a straight line approach with a big handbrake pull from three cones back. There's no way you can do that. We've all driven this on the fun days, and we're still picking up speed on the way to entry. Judges, I was on limiter, flicking the car after the two cone, in order to make it to the one cone and then pull handbrake. I had no more, I had no more speed left in the car. I was at full speed and already, you know, sideways at the one cone. So I was having to pull handbrake. There was no, I, there was no way to avoid it. Yeah. So just by the way. I, I think they were there adjusting, yeah. and we did this in the driver's meeting, you know, was I, I think from their perspective, they, they weren't considering the momentum that you guys were building up, you know, in, on yeah. that, in the entry, and from Arizona one to two, you know some of the 
the majority of the cars that were running, you know, decent horsepower were building up quite a bit of steam. And if you didn't get that under control before that inner clip, you, you were just going to completely go, you know, yeah. get away from it. So, so we get that figured out. Yeah, we were running limiter from the end of outer one yeah. to the point that I pull handbrake for outer two. But it was like very light, like like it was just just into yeah. it, and then getting into the. So it was, yeah, it kept it was it smooth, the, the yeah. gearing was was pretty well for that, like worked very, pretty well. I'm very excited for the gearing next year to just see how much grip we can actually throw at the car because I think the wheel speed was yeah perfect. Yeah. So so we so we get into qualifying and you lay down a pretty pretty heater of qualifying run. Yeah, almost top three, seventy four. Yeah, so we qualify fourth. Right out of the gate, first first shot. It was. Yeah. I'd say we were pretty, we were all pretty, yeah, pretty hyped on that. Yeah. Yeah, I wish the uh, live stream had audio because I would have loved to have uh, heard how excited Tiny got. Yeah, yeah. Because he was excited when I put down a good run at OSW for my second one. So to see me do it yeah. one one shot go yeah. after seeing a bunch of people basically not complete laps. So, so box check number one technically, we qualified first first run out. Box check number. Oh, box well, check. we didn't know it at the time. We but didn't yeah. know at the time. Yeah, yeah, we checked too. So we we're on fire yet, but there's still there's still day left. Yes, so, lots of day left. So we go straight in the top sixteen, and uh, so there was another driver out there. It's funny enough. So spotting, I'm taking notes of who's doing what, and one driver, you know, was was struggling, and they're a good driver, just wasn't their day, you know, wasn't their setup, and they were they were kind of like the one driver I didn't want did not want to go against. Just there was there was two drivers. There was two, but. Just because it would have been a challenge to follow them, you know, cleanly, you know, it's it's easy to it's easy for them to make a mistake and you to, you know, make one as well. Or if you give them too much room, they could end up just absolutely like doing a great job. Like you just didn't know what what was going to come. Right, and this was actually a good conversation that, you know, you know, luckily being close friends with uh, and pitting with Stephen was that you know Pat Gooden is his spot is is a spotter, and I remember going over to him and being like, I'm worried about these guys. I'm not at a skill level yet to pull it back. Oh, so by the way, we we end up we end up being in the bracket with oh, them. Yeah. Sorry. From 16 on, you know, 16 is the the first driver, and then if we get to eight, it could be this other one. So we end up with yeah with both potentially. Yes, we ended up with both. Yeah. So yeah, Pat gave you some yeah. And Pat was Pat gave me the advice that I expected to hear, but just needed somebody to actually confirm it. And it was, hey, you know, if you have to pull it back, the margin is tiny, 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 tiny. And you're going to screw it up until you have practice of actually pulling it back. And he was like, I even made those mistakes at FD after years of knowing, of, of doing it right. So we, I kind, I kind of, you know, looked to the guys and said, hey, I'm not ready to do that yet. Luckily, this is the last round. And I have the whole off season to fix anything <laughs> on top of, you know, motor and everything else. It's like, so I'm going to put the car where I'm supposed to and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. So yeah. what ended up happening is the, the, the top 16 driver ended up not being able to, they were having car troubles and stuff, which is unfortunate. I don't, I don't, I didn't necessarily want to see that, but it was a little bit of a relief to not have to worry about their car and in yours. You know what I mean? Like we don't want to hit somebody, but. I don't want to buy run because seat time is extremely yeah. valuable. I learn something every time. I'm progressing every time. Um, so it was nice to have a buy run, but I was bummed yeah. that I yeah. didn't have to battle for it. 
Even if I got it on a technicality or whatnot, just ha- being in that competitive, like, it's battle mode now. You only yeah. get, you know, how many battles have I had this season? I had as many battles in the last round as I had had all season. True, yeah. So, you know, I've only had six actual battles this year. So they're, they're super hard to get. So I want them. So, so you advance. The, the other driver were a little concerned about following advances. and You, have to, you really do have to battle, battle them. Right, and they advance on the same thing. We both had buys in the 16 yeah. due to competitors having yeah, car, um, problems. Car, car problems and not being able to make it out there. Um, so luckily, we ended up getting through. On on your your chase, they, they do put a lap together and you chased, and it was, I believe it was, it was their, which was the lead or the chase that they spun out? So let's take a side note here, and this is the first time ever that I lead first. Oh yeah, because all year I've been in the not so great qualifying, so I was always chasing first, yeah. which was an advantage because basically the battle, the, the termination of the battle was going to be how well I could chase them because as we sized up everybody, pretty much everybody I battled this year we sized as a better driver and and or you know more car on paper, so um, you know this is the first time where it's I lead first, how well you do behind me will indicate to me how much do I have to worry about what's going to happen when I chase you. Yeah. And he, he did, a, I mean, so he chased you and did okay. But he didn't. Well, I couldn't see that, though. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so at the time, I got the radio call. You got to do the thing. Got to put it on his door. Yeah. From when, our, in, when in actuality, he zeroed behind me an outer two. Right. But that, yeah, I couldn't, from our vantage point, without the drone shot, you couldn't see that. So Yeah. Right. Yeah. Unless I, you were watching the live stream, you had no idea that he zeroed behind me. Which is not in real time when you're at the track, by the way. It's right. Delayed. So even though we do have the live stream on, you can't see that. So yeah, I gave you the call that, no, you gotta, you're gonna have to actually like put it on him and not not give him slack based, based on you know how the rest of the run went. And uh, so he ends up spinning out in front of you pretty quickly on the lead run and... Yeah, that was super awkward. Cause yeah. I've never, normally when that happens on the sim or at the fun day, like there's enough space back there and you're not as fully committed and you can, you know, kind of like take a breather, readjust your line and go around. No big deal. But this is the first time this has happened in competition. And when he transferred early on like the outside part of the track towards the airfield and the grass, there's only a, uh, like half a second split of time where I'm going, oh shit, I have to transfer the car now. Oh no, how do I slow the car down? Because I'm now behind him and we're like parallel on track, and how do I save this and follow him instead of just going, ah, whatever, and driving around. And then when he fully spun, I was like, oh, phew, pulled handbrake and just finished the course. But uh, there was a moment where I was freaking out. Went to all the stages of grief. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so no, so no, we now, so no. now like, I'm, I'm literally on the fence, like, like banging the fence, you know, on the wall, because oh, yeah. I know we're in the fourth. Like I, yeah. you know, I, I'm not even waiting for them to make the call. I know, I know we're in, you know, as a team, like, holy crap, we're, we're going to the final four, which was. Yeah. Cause I didn't even straighten behind him. Yeah. I almost straightened, but like, right. like they can't, they can't even ding me for that. Yeah. So, yeah. so now, now we have Stephen Tassanaro <laughs> right. in, in the, in the final four battle. So it's like, all right, well, like. Let's give him a run. Like we 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 felt confident we could. I told him I was coming for him. Yeah, we, we could give him a competitive yeah. battle. You know. Yes. Um, 
what we were most, what I was most excited about in the final four wasn't actually competing for the podium. It was actually getting the drive two more times because it's pro-am, we get the battle for third. So I was just ecstatic that regardless of what happens, if I beat Steven, even better. But regardless, I get to go do another battle, you know, for third place. Yeah. So that was that was the highlight for me, more than more than anything else about potentially getting on the podium. Yeah. So you end up battling him, and I think you had a little mistake on your chase, and Steven ends up taking the win. No, I had I had no K chase. Um, he, I made a mistake in the lead. Oh, lead. I apologize. So. Yeah. Um, Steven, you sneaky bastard! You, uh, oh, yeah. you, uh, you threw on you threw on some grippier tires and uh, and took me and, and you know gave me a little bit of that gap sauce. But um, so no, in my chase, um, you know he gapped me a little bit onto outer two, but that was kind of the story of chasing with my car. There was just there's just nothing left in it, and that's what was going to happen. Um, and then. Um, I was a little wound up in the interclip transition that I had to cut, um, well, before his car would kind of float a little bit more um, and wasn't as hooked up, but like when he got back on it and as I was milking the transition, he just started going, so I just cut line big time. So I had just a big deficit in the chase. Um, it was the lead where I really screwed up and it wasn't on purpose. I don't really think it was an overhype thing I think that I was just slightly off on my flick and my handbrake application because normally the way that I had to drive that car that round and it's all based around grip, which is based around our horsepower, was I couldn't put the car on the back line of every zone and drive the arc that the zone was. Um, but didn't have enough power and grip to do that unless we sacrificed the complete other zones. Yeah. So if I entered the zone on the beginning of the box, so shallow, but in the box, the beginning of you know, outer zone one and two, basically whether it was on throttle application, like for outer zone one, my arc would take me to the back of the box. Um, whereas in outer two, it was more of a handbrake footbrake that would set me back. But basically I started outer one at the back of the box. And when you hit the rumble strips, it's kind of a ticking time bomb. Because the rumble strips are no are not asphalt. They're, they're slick. Yeah. They're painted. So not only is the tire doing this every 12 inches, but you're also on paint. So as soon as I entered the back of the box, I was just kind of like, just try to save it, and um, you know, kind of went deep, got my line screwed up, um, and just was like, all right, well, I'm going to try to just complete the course as smoothly as I can, um, and the smooth and th that route appeared to me as cutting back across towards Outer 2, whether I made it to Outer 2 or not didn't matter to me, but towards Outer 2 and giving me enough room and momentum to make the transition to just actually then do a perfect Outer 3. Um, but I knew from how much that I dropped a tire and how much I missed Outer 2 and completely biffed the inner clip that there was no way that Steven had that big of mistakes in his chase. So, so he ends up taking the win and we go against Sasha for third. Yes, I was super pumped about it. Yeah, oh yeah, Sasha solid. And what was nice about well, both Steven and and Sasha is like you know they're just gonna like drive the heck out of their car, and you can just drive the heck out of yours, you know, with them. And yeah, I would argue there's not really that many games that mm -hmm. we experienced in pro am. Yeah, no. so like everybody I battled was a straight up battle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, sure, 
Taylor Ray had the baby at around, you know, uh, behind <laughs> me during round one, but yeah, you know, everything was straight up. Yeah, not as many games. Just, just, uh, you know, just somebody who's like they're driving solid. And you know that they're they're not gonna mis- make mistakes, and they're gonna drive as hard as they can, and you can drive as hard as you can behind them, and yeah, you know, just see how it shakes out. And that's that's what I did behind Sasha. And yeah, my excitement to drive against Sasha was um, that. Car for car on paper, there's no other car closer to mine yeah, on point. paper. You know, sure, there's, you know, there was a, a 410 wheel horsepower, you know, C5 Corvette. But that's a Corvette, you know. Or there's this 460 horsepower Corvette. Or you got Stevens, you know, S14 that's making five, uh, 530 and change or something. But that's 1J, and he's running completely different suspension. Whereas Sasha's wise fat front. I'm wise fat front. We're both V8s. We're both T56. Now, granted, he was probably still on stock diff, but, you know, we're both running nitrous. He's only making about 50 to 60 more horsepower than I am, you know. So, paper to paper, it's as close as I can actually compare myself as a driver to somebody else. And, and you, somebody who I think is better than me. So, where, where, where are my shortfalls? How can I, where can I take notes to improve against who I look up to for competition-wise. So and he, he so he ends up edging out a win, you know, and yeah, you know, starting a little cleaner, a little better, a little ch- chasing a little bit better. But it was, it, I think that was a pretty competitive it was, battle. It was a, it was a very competitive battle, yeah. and like, um, like both of you had the line figured out really well. Like Sasha was running good all day, like had a good line. You had a good line, and in that battle. Like, Sasha had a few mistakes, you had a few mistakes, they were in different spots, and it was really just kind of up to how the judge weighed those mistakes, you know? like it and, was... this, and this is something I want to do, um, not sure if maybe it'd be good to do on here on this platform, or who knows what, but I would love to get Noel on a call, and just, like, you know, not to argue the call or anything, because I, I thought he won. To me, he won. But I would love to hear from the judges' perspective what they were looking at. Oh, like a breakdown? But like a yeah. full breakdown of just that battle. Because oh, as cool. far as all the other battles go from that day and the event, like I would argue that's the closest, most nuancey battle that Pro-Am has seen this year. And I think it's where they were looking. So the, the big mistake that I saw you know, when you go like follow runs, like you had a slight mistake uh, inner clip one to outer two and Sasha had like a bit of a straight and so like you had a bit of a straight there Sasha had a bit of a straight um, going from outer one to outer two and it was like I th- to my perspective it was a little bit bigger than yours but also at the same time that's like you know maybe a little biased but but it was like almost the same mistake just in different spots and when I was watching on the stream, I was like, it just depends on how the judges see, you know, it, either they're going to see those mistakes as the same and give you guys one more time, or they're going to say, we didn't want to see that in this area versus it's a little bit of a little bit better in this area or, you know, vice versa. Yeah, because depending on how the judges weigh different mistakes or different areas of the track, right, it's not the traditional scoring anymore where... Outer zone one is twenty points, and outer zone two is ten. It's not weighed that way, so you can't like judge, like, you know, for example, like I totally chased better than him in outer one, 
Yeah, but because I did that, it kind of screwed me up for Outer 2, whereas his screw-up in Outer 1 in the chase set him up, set him up perfect for Outer 2. So if yeah. there's a sacrifice, which one do the judges and, and like what I think is like hate least? The, the reason that I think that Sasha ended up taking the win is that maybe they judged the technical portion of that track. Like, Interclip... Like, Interclip 1 to Outer 3 was, like, a real technical portion of that track. And I, if they, like, viewed that as more important, then it was, like, your mistake was in that area. So even though it was probably slightly less of a mistake, it was in an area that they were, like, really, like, hawking on. So maybe that's that's why. But it, it, would, ju- it would be interesting to have, yeah. like, a judge's perspective of, like, hey, this is exactly what we are seeing, and this is why. Right, because when I look at it from lead from lead, because the chase mistakes are pretty easy to see, mm-hmm. but if you compare lead to lead, you know, he does beautiful in outer one and outer two, but he misses inner clip. And then outer three, we both did the same. Whereas I'm sacrificing part of the beginning of outer one and outer two, you know, I'm in it, but mm-hmm. I'm not on the back line like he is, but I hit the inner clip. So, you know, as far as the way that I see it, if you miss a zone, it should be more detrimental than sacrificing two parts of two zones overall. But it doesn't matter what we think, it matters what the judges think. Exactly. So yeah. I would love to get that kind of confirmation in that thought process. So, so either way... If there's a weight scale that we're not aware of that they're yeah. still kind of using. So Sasha gets the win, and we end up getting fourth, which was like an amazing accomplishment for the whole team. Like we were, yeah. we were, we were absolutely stoked. And I, I know you got a lot of validation from other competitors and you know other people in the track. So kind of in like our, you know, kind of final parting thoughts. Like I mean, it was really different to basically kind of be invisible in round one, which was also totally fine. We wanted to be invisible, but to have to, to be out there, you know, starting an OSW and be like, I'm a driver here, guys. I'm, I'm here to, to, to play with the big boys, and I can play with the big boys. Yeah. You know, and then to finally put it, put it all out there in round four and people notice. Um, you know, notably Pat Gooden, Kevin Lawrence, Chris Jackson, you know, said something. Sasha, like for them to come over and kind of give the same message in different terms but to put it simply and to not overwind it you know we've watched you you know from the back end over here progress throughout the whole year and your progression isn't the same as watching a brand new driver go out there to the skid pad and learn how to drift it was there's a competitive team here that has synergy and that is growing both as driver car team and program and it was really awesome to watch every round something new some sort of improvement some sort of growth and you know it was they just thoroughly like they know that they were they were very happy to see it yeah i don't i don't think i don't know if any of them knows like how much it meant to us to 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 hear them say that and like as a team and yeah thanking them and telling them it meant a lot was not enough no. not yeah, enough no. gratitude that yeah. it, it felt yeah. yeah for sure um so i you know if, if people enjoy this or want to you know hear more about kind of things that we're doing i think 
it'd be cool to do a follow-up on kind of the plans for next year and what some of the changes are but i think you know as it stands now with i that's 2023 in a wrap and i yeah i'm super i like i couldn't be more proud of like everyone on the team and how we did and i appreciate all of you yeah maybe we can do you know a shorter format yeah. for like round recaps yeah exactly and yeah. get more nitty-gritty because we started to get a little nitty-gritty and kind of started <laughs> yeah, rambling yeah, yeah, yeah. on on round four but we could do that you know as a team each round i think i think it's cool to have the team perspective i mean you hear you know a lot of times drivers will recap stuff and you get you know i think their perspective obviously means a lot i mean they're the driver but you get kind of the little nuanced background stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like, nice to know that my rear diff is tightened by two ugga-duggas <laughs> yeah, with exactly. a 50 no, per, was, 50% it confidence. Was, it's very scientific. It was specifically okay. <laughs> That's so, the specific torque. Highly, highly scientific stuff here. So I was, as I flick that was it more in than 50-50. But yeah. as I flick it in fourth gear up on the wall at OSW, yeah. <laughs> at whatever mile an hour, didn't, yeah. didn't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> you you did it. You, I mean, right. I guess technically you still didn't need to know, but you know, I was more than 50 50 confident. So. And with that, that's a wrap on uh, 2023. Yeah. Cool. Enjoy. Talk to you guys later.